This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, episode 199. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lam Ramayasha. And today, once again, the Don arises on another Yono the Don podcast. This time, discussing all of the wonderful questions you guys sent in in a robust Q&A podcast exploring even more about what we love about the characters, the relationships, the themes, and topics of the story of Yona the Don. For an epic quest manga like Yona, an epic adventure story, of course there's a ton of stuff to explore about its world and its lore, and we have a lot of fun talking about it in this episode, and we hope that it provides a great addition to our Yona coverage that you really enjoy listening. It was so fun to have on Marianne, Caitlin, and Olive once again to discuss the series with us. All right, here you go, guys. This is about, what, four to five hours worth of Yona of the Dawn discussion? Yes, just over four hours worth of Yona discussion. And believe you and me, we could have gone on for even more. But you will definitely see us revisit the series in the future, I am sure. But for now, we hope that this podcast whets your appetite as we gather up our happy, hungry bunch, our fellow Dragon Warriors of the Venom once again, and journey off into the vast world of Yona Nadan one more time. It took thousands of years for the legendary Dragon Wars to reunite, but only took us a month to reconvene to discuss Yona of the Dawn once again. We are here to answer all your burning, lingering Yona of the Dawn questions. Once again, we have gathered up the mighty dragons of the Yoda fandom, Caitlin, Ooh. Olive, hey. and Marianne. Oh no, Marion's gone quiet on us. Uh oh. Marion, oh, oh. And to think we have reunited, oh. We have lost each other once again. Oh no. Ah. As, ah. I was gonna say, did, did, did Marion die and now we're gonna get a new dragon? Oh no, his time oh. ran out. We have to wait no. for his reincarnation. The new dragon was born. Oh. Am I muted? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm Zeno now. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, someone pulled your tongue out. You just have to wait for it to regenerate. Discord tries Jeez. to take you out. A little more quiet. <laughs> Only for you to come back. Yeah, you're if you're Zeno, then you're resilient. You will bounce back. No matter what Here I am. At you. 
Look, yeah. like the hurricane. <laughs> what? Oh, man. Uh, but yeah, thank you guys for coming back on again to discuss Yona with us. We had some fan questions over on Reddit in particular that we weren't able to get to last time. So it's cool to reconvene to discuss some of these really awesome questions. Yeah, let's hope we can get to all of them. I think we, we can. Especially <laughs> since some of these questions address topics we had discussed on our main discussion last time. So when we do talk about the things, you might uh, have a truncated answer for that. But there were a lot of really interesting questions about the series in general. Generally, I divided them up uh, in terms of the order we'll discuss them into a few different categories questions about certain characters questions about the romance questions about themes and i think yeah that's a good order as we kind of trek through them all right, all right. but uh i think we should good. just get on to our first question yeah first question comes to us from squeegee c who asks about yona's character development what sets her apart as a strong female lead character in anime they're often, you know, very disappointed, pissed off on how poorly women are treated in anime. But Yona is really well done, uniquely developed throughout the series. And they'd also love if we could talk about other great characters in the series, like Riri and Shigan. Who, who wants to start off? I'll dive in uh, to keep it brief, because I think I went on a... If I remember our last recording session properly, I think I went on a soapbox a bit already about this. <laughs> but I think where it succeeds with all the different women is... All the girls and women in the show and the series are very different and very unique and Mm. they're allowed to be flawed. And I think that's really a big deal is we're not seeing some perfect image of someone growing into being a warrior. Even at Yona's strongest moments, she has that vulnerability to her. And I think that she's relatable even amid all the fantasy and elements that don't mirror our world she is relatable mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i think uh something that really adds to that as well is the fact that all of these uh women are different in, in their own ways and they're still mm-hmm. allowed to like interact and learn from each other uh mm-hmm. especially like how yona really looked up to gigan as like a like a mentor figure uh even mm-hmm. though they have like uh, they have like different, I guess, temperaments, uh, personalities, but she was still allowed to like learn from her. And maybe she's not going to be like exactly the same as like Gigan is because she's like, she's like the, the head of the pirates, right? And she's like setting out, she, she like sails in the seas and like she like, act, like, you know, doing pirate stuff. Like Yona's not like an actual pirate, but, uh, she, she still kind of like takes like part of those attributes and like, Whatever uh, she can, like, incorporate when it comes to her, like, I don't want to say, like, vigilante type of activities, but basically, like, you know, stuff from behind the scenes uh, when it comes to saving her country from from the shadows, I guess. It's cool to to be able to have people learn from each other that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Women Egon especially. believes in Yona's capability and encourages her you know, to prove herself in that quest to get that herb by, like, walking down, like, that, you know, treacherous cliffside. And even against complaints like, oh, Yona, you know, she's just a young girl. Gion's like, hey, women are capable and there's some things that a woman's got to do. You know, I think that we see a lot of, you know, solidarity between women in the series and encouraging and inspiring and uplifting each other. 
I think a great representation of this is the Yona and Riri relationship, and we talked about this last time. But it is so cool how they inspire each other to grow as leaders in different ways. Whereas Yona grows also as like a fighter, warrior, someone who wants to protect others, like through her own like strength and leadership. Like Riri, and meanwhile, is not as much of a fighter, but she is able to, you know, stand up also for herself and also make connections with other people and like, you know, network like with the people uh in the water tribe like the merchants association to help get them to help uh fend off like the that corrupt trader of the nagai and stuff so mm-hmm. yeah i think we see a lot of cool ways in which the characters can inspire her to grow but they aren't necessarily on the same track in terms of like how they demonstrate their strength and their maturity but they nonetheless you know, encourage each other to become better people, better leaders, and just more capable and confident in themselves and what they can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're, they're not like... This... So the thing that I believe really makes them such well-written characters is that, and well-written female characters, is that they are written as people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Their gender affects them, it affects how they approach the world and how the world approaches them, but First and foremost, they are people with their own motivations and their own lives and their own histories. And like I said, it's not gender blind writing, Mm -hmm. but it is written with the acknowledgement that your gender is not who you are as a person. And so they're not written just as aspirational or they're not just written according to tropes. And part of it is, is just kusanagi's skill as a writer as a character writer but her approach really does read to me like saying this is the character that i am writing Mm. rather than i'm writing a woman character like this and i am or i am writing a male character like this Mm -hmm. yeah i think um something i really like about riri's character is the fact that like she learns a lot and like she looks up to yona but She's still, like, her own person, and she doesn't, like, completely change her personality or how she wants to get things done after she meets Yona. Um, Like, she's still, like, after the whole arc, like, when she meets, is his name Gunte, the the Earth Tribe commander? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, she's like, oh, she's, yeah, she's still, she's still in love with him, still has a crush or whatever, and she's, she's still allowed to act, like, girly or whatever, but it's not like the story treats her as like a naive kid because of it. Like she's still allowed to like express her feelings and like act like a girl, even though like, yeah, like she's still, she's still growing as like a person. And I think that's something really important when it comes to actually like having like female characters and like so many times I've seen uh like discussion of like, Oh yeah, I, w- I want some like strong female characters, which, when people mean that they they want someone like uh I don't know like uh like Armstrong from FMA where it's just like oh yeah a tough girl who fights or whatever but like you can have that without like completely I guess like I don't know how to phrase this without sounding weird like uh yeah I totally get what you're saying yeah, yeah there's ways to demonstrate a character is strong and capable in ways that are not just oh they're great at fighting or oh they have cast off their femininity that's a trope that i really think is so tired is when 
a female character is coded as strong because they are not feminine. Right. Like that's something that I, in like the King's Beast I've been reading, like the, there's this whole trope of like, oh, I've had to cast aside being a woman in order to, you know, become this war infiltrate, like, and become this prince's bodyguard or whatever. And I'm like, well, this is kind of antiquated. I mean, I, I understand the context in the case of this series, but in general, it's like you, I think Yona does a great job of showing like these are feminine characters, but they're still incredibly capable, not just in the case of Yona, she becomes a capable, like, combatant, but also that's not just the only source of her strength. Her strength is also in her leadership, in her the way she inspires other people. That's also mm-hmm. true for Ruri and mm-hmm. so many other characters. So I think I really appreciate the different, you know, modes, uh, yeah. depictions of what it means to be a strong person in general and not right. just by yeah. the dawn, and ideas think- of masculinity and femininity. And I think just going off that too, it is in like, obviously we always say quality over quantity, but in this case, it is quantity and quality here because Mm -hmm. there's so many women. It's not, you're not journeying through this long series and only seeing like the badass woman who's leading the army. You meet so many different girls and women on this journey, but Yona, Riri, Guji. I think a recent example that I love bringing up is Lady Aguni. Mm. I think she's she's got such a brief appearance in the overall scope of the series, but it's so impactful because it acknowledges that she comes from a different time and a different lifestyle, but that doesn't mean she hasn't learned how to live by her own terms within that. Yeah. And I think it's the, I don't want to say options, but the variety kind of going off of what Caitlin was saying is it's like they kind of supersede anything that would be normally considered tropey because there's so many different girls and women in this series just as many as all the guys and stuff like you just encounter so many that it's not something where like oh my god look at this round ass woman because it's not this rare thing in the series to come across of a unique fully formed female character like she isn't once every blue moon she's you're gonna meet a new one every story arc probably more and i think that stands out a lot to me for it yeah absolutely everyone has layers Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think that leads us into our next question which comes from guinea fowlich who asks about like they're curious our thoughts on you know feminist views of Kusanagi as uh, depicted in the manga and you know they mentioned that you know they rarely saw a mention you know in their experience as a manga reader of you know seeing period much less period blood being depicted and that happened in Yona the Dawn like that was a very interesting scene we talked about it in the last podcast and you know another feminist aspect they think is the respect that the hung- happy hungry bond shows to Yona's decisions and it's beyond that you know she is the princess uh, they mentioned that she develops her own agency throughout the manga, and her agency is one of the powerful, must not abuse powerless, which I think is very, very true. They also ask about our thoughts on ingrained uh, misogyny in Japan. I don't think we are, you know, qualified to talk about this as some of Japanese people. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say the extent I know about Kusanagi's views are what she herself has said in her author's notes. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. what is ever in the volumes of the officially licensed Yona and in her interviews, that is my extent of knowing her views in her life. Yeah. Uh, we have to remember that unless they volunteer that info publicly, like a lot of mangaka 
are pretty private. Yeah. Um, so I, I would not know, honestly. I can yeah. only judge based on her writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. It's part of why I do not, despite writing for a site called Anime Feminist, I very, very rarely will outright call a work feminist because I don't know the views and opinions of the person writing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I will call, like, all my do- darling daughters feminist because it explicitly <laughs> talks about feminism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but most of the time, I don't know. And, like, all of a sudden, unless Kusanagi is out here talking about her views, I don't want to assign opinions to her that she doesn't necessarily have and make assumptions. As Absolutely. much as I enjoy the little glimpses into her life that she gives in the little or in her little um, doodles <laughs> with mm. herself and her family as meerkats, yeah. um, he's kitty. <laughs> but yeah, don't make assumptions about what the people writing it are saying. That's that's just a general rule mm-hmm. to go yeah. by. As readers, we the text is open for us to interpret through a feminist lens, but we can't necessarily just assign that intent to the author unless they explicitly uh, come out and say that they had that intention. Yeah, and as for feminism in Japan and that culture around it, that is not my lane. Mm-hmm. So it is a great yeah. question, whoever asked that. It's not that it is not a great question. It is unfortunately just far from my lane to speak on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, I, I I feel bad we can't like touch on this more, but it, it's like we said, like I don't I don't really think any of us are really like again, none of us really have experience in this kind of stuff and are really like super qualified to talk about this. Like, you know, like so I don't know. Yes, but I do think that uh their comment about the relationship between uh the dragons and Yona is a very good one and like i do appreciate mm-hmm. the relationship between them and how they show respect to yona especially as the story grows like they do truly like admire her as a leader and it's not just mm-hmm. oh she's someone we have to protect but she is someone who inspires us to follow her and help her achieve what she wants to achieve and mm-hmm. yeah i also appreciate yona's growth and arc of like yes she is someone who grows to believe like hey us who have like power to help people, we gotta use that power to help people, and I think that's a like a great strength of her character. Yeah, personally, what I like about Yona is that like even if she's not like the most physically strong character, like I I appreciate that she has like a presence. Like I I love the moments, especially early on when she fights um what's his name King June. I'm probably saying that wrong. Taijun? Taijun, thank you. Yeah, I get their names all mixed up. When she fights Taijun, you know, around the point where, like, you know, Hawk falls off the cliff and that's how they meet, um, what's his face? I'm sorry, I'm gonna forget everybody's names. It's been a couple months. Thank you, yeah. (laughs) And, you know, we, we have moments where, like, sometimes the people she fights, they'll stand face to face against her and she'll give off this presence and then mm-hmm. you know they're just they're so scared of her presence alone. Like I I, lo- I love moments like that in the series. Those are some of my favorite. Yeah, like- her <laughs> her fierce glares are always great. Like that she can take people aback just through the strength of her will, strength yeah. of her determination. Like honestly, I I get scared sometimes looking at her. Like I I wouldn't want to <laughs> meet her in a dark alley. 
No, they're fierce looks. Like, <laughs> they're so cool. Any day. It's fine. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I also agree with Guinea Valich that yeah, I do think Yona is a great story because it touches on a lot of cool topics and themes and yeah, like Hawk is the coolest and that's one of the, the cool things about the manga, but like there is so much to it. Mm-hmm. Consent is sexy. Says Hawk. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. It looks pretty as hell and has a lot of attractive people and has a deep story. It's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And while we can't comment about like how it was received by Japanese audiences in terms of the messages, I think the fact that it is a long-running, successful manga goes to show that it does resonate with readers uh, in Japan and, of course, worldwide. But, yeah, now we have a question that's a little more critical of Yona as a character, and this comes from Ashi3028, and they wonder about Yona being potentially an overpowered person because from there they feel like at this point she can just sit back and like in her couch and eat great so people do things for her so even she's in danger they don't really feel it because they know that she's going to come out of it as she's overpowered with drunk dragons and they don't really like that the dragons have an expiration date as they call it because you know they're the main characters so they feel that you know of course they won't die so they had a criticism about that, and then beautiful Wyrus also chimed in that they feel like there's a balance problem, and if Yona was written as a boy, she would have an arch enemy to fight against, and then her supposed supernatural advantage might not be as glaring, and the arch enemy would have like some supernatural thing. And I don't super disagree with this question. This question has kind of a good contrast slash uh, rebuttal from our next uh, question uh, from Urio Zeno. But yeah, I think that this is kind of, this feels like a gender bias kind of thing. I don't think that, you know, Yona is as vulnerable or as invulnerable as uh, it seems or this person, I think, believes. Because I mean, I feel like... uh, Also, the criticism of, oh, the dragons have, like, this, you know, imminent death on coming to them, uh, because that's just the the curse of, you know, being chosen as a dragon warrior. Like, uh, I don't think that necessarily means that they are unvulnerable to potentially uh, dying, but even if that that is true, and yeah, they'll make it through the end of the story alive. I don't think that invalidates like the the tension, the dramatic tension in the story of like the, when the characters get in danger, or get hurt, or, or like separate or goes through the ringer. Like we have talked about, like some really like powerfully brutal scenes uh, where we do feel like so much like anxiety for what's going on when the characters are getting hurt. Like when Zeno was like lifting up the burning building, it was literally burning alive. Like, yes, we know that Zeno is immortal. He's, he can survive that, but that's the tension comes from, no, we don't want our friend to like burn in pain, like all night or whatever. And the tension is rescuing him from that situation. So, yeah, I, yeah, I kind of also have a counter to the question, but when I say counter, I don't mean, I'm not trying to shoot, this person Mm -hmm. down who had the question everyone's interpretation for the most part is like valid like everyone can take interpret text differently and things like Mm -hmm. that i find the op comment interesting because 
again, when I hear OP with characters specifically in terms of manga and that OP trope, I so often think of Battle Shonen. And for me, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. my counter to the idea of her being OP is one, it, it's like in, I'm breaking it up into like three mini parts. So one uh-huh. is she using it because she has actively said multiple times she doesn't she doesn't want to use the dragon's power for her. Mm-hmm. And the one time we saw the dragons like summon the deities themselves to save her was completely when all of them were literally like tied down to the ground, yeah. beaten, bloody. Like, and that was just to stop a few arrows. So yeah. yes, they are powerful, but we have seen multiple times how there are regulations and stipulations and rules that restrict their power, how far are they from Hero Castle, etc. And also again, Jonas specifically even though they will still because they're her friends and they love her and care for her as friends, she doesn't want to use that for her betterment. And then additionally, because of that, it makes me think a lot of this idea of this rival character. She has a rival. She has Suwon. Mm-hmm. It's just not, they're not, they are battling with wits and interpersonal relationships rather than fisticuffs. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so it right. is a, but she has, because of her relationship with Riri, Riri, and when Riri called Suwon out, and he had that moment of uncertainty, like, they've had those moments that have had to push each other. Like, so, and this is not me trying to say to this questioner, you're wrong, but I just think it's very different because I interpreted the text very differently of I don't see her as overpowered at all. And also, I fully expect Kusanagi to kill at minimum one of the dragons by me in this series. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, mm-hmm. I don't know. I've been bracing myself for like, <laughs> yeah. since like chapter 100, the Xeno reveal. I'm like, oh, you're killing people I love by yeah. me. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I think, so, I feel like. I mean, I appreciate their <laughs> optimism. I have not. <laughs> I have gotten the impression was... that someone's gonna die. <laughs> yeah, no. Have you been I traumatized agree. by Fushigi Yugi too? <laughs> yes, yes, I have. Um, so I just, I think my initial reaction to to each of these questions was interesting because they were kind of opposite. Because my first initial, my initial reaction to don't you think Yona is kind of overpowered was, would you be saying that about a battle shonen manga? Mm-hmm. Do you think Gon is overpowered? Do you think <laughs> the, all the various JoJo's are overpowered? Do you think Because you know that they're going to come out of all the fights okay, and that <laughs> Killua and, you know, whatever team members are around are going to come out okay. You know that Deku is going to come out okay? Like, would you be saying that if they were shown in protagonist? And then the next one we're talking about, well, why doesn't she have an arch rival if this were like another kind of, if this were a different action, if she were a boy, she would have an arch rival. I'm like, do you think this is a shonen manga here? <laughs> <laughs> why is it because this is like kind a of how that, sh- that's what the shonen jump. Um, mm. But this is a shoujo son. Um, yeah, because, where's Anoy uh, of the and, Dust? And I admit, I did personally, <laughs> in case you couldn't tell. Why um, can't every manga be more like Shonen Jump? 
And as someone mm. who is shown and jump trash, and I live for those tropes, this is not me shitting on those tropes. No, no, no. Like yeah, yeah. the amount, the amount of shown and jump apparel I own. <laughs> like, but that's not what Yona is. Yeah, no, yeah. no. <laughs> the focus in shoujo manga, and I think I brought this up um, in the last one, is through the lens of the characters and their relationships, generally mm. speaking. And that's one one of the things I love about Yona is that it has this huge, basic, like, region-spanning conflict, and it is told through the lens of how it is affecting these characters and how these characters' relationships affect that in return. No, Suwan does not have the power of the dragons behind him, but he is smart, and he is savvy, and he is an excellent antagonist, and he has his own people behind him. You know, mm. the the generals. I, I feel like it would be so much less interesting if there were, like, the one super-powered arch-rival Yona had to go and defeat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, like we, we talked about it. Yeah. Sorry, I was just gonna say, if, if this were, like, a Shonen Jump manga, I feel like I, I feel like they, they would play that up more with Suwon being, like, the arch rival or rival character to Yona, but that again, that's just not the kind of manga this is. So yeah, we talked no. about it, but like Yona and Suwon's relationship aren't like they are complete enemies. It's much more complex and nuanced than that. And I appreciate and that. They yeah. both have like mutual goals of like improving the lives of the people in the Koka kingdom and making Koka, you know, a stronger, safe country, but they have different philosophies and preferred methods of getting to that. And that's what draws them a conflict that sometimes is what draws them to cooperate at other times. And even though Yona, you know, has her dragon warriors, like even they can't always be around to protect her. They are themselves not, like, invincibly strong. We see several times where they are beaten up by, like, normal soldiers. Like, in the Jing arc, they were taken out, and admittedly, they were pulling their punches because they didn't want to create a scene and stuff, but they can get taken out. And that moment of desperation where, you know, they summon the dragon out to protect Yona, like, that was something they, involuntary, no one knew that could happen. They can't summon that at Vil. So, and even in the most recent arc uh, in the releases of manga, like, Yona gets kidnapped uh, by Yink Kilbo, and, like, she, there's not as much she can do, like, on her own. She can't, like, like, she does fight back when she can, like, against Gobi and whatnot, but, like, you know, she does have to rely on and wait on her friends to help her. And so there is still a lot of tension in these moments for these characters. Like, yeah, they can get hurt, they're not invulnerable, there's struggle, but more importantly, like, than just the physical interactions of the characters, the physical dangers they have, there's a lot of complexity in their relationships, particularly in Yona and Suwon's conflict, and how that is going to resolve in terms of, like, what, who will ultimately be the one to guide the future of the Koka kingdom, and then, like, yeah. the imminent continuing wars uh, with the Kai Empire and how they will have to deal and negotiate with the leaders of that nation as well in the future. Yeah. And I think beyond just even 
shonen shoujo everything like that it's again and there's always genre bending and demographic breaking series we yeah. all know this it's why we mm-hmm. love talking about this but again we love i love weekly shonen jump but there's a and there's some exceptions but there's a formula there every magazine kind of has a formula if you yeah. look close enough and people mm-hmm. genre, yona of the dawn runs in hana to yume hana to yume has skip beat Kamisama Kiss, Fruits Basket, Tokyo Crazy Paradise, yeah. Please Save My Earth, Sacrificial Princess and the King of Beasts, Godchild. It's got, it is so focused on interpersonal relationships. Romance, yes, but a lot of that magazine's biggest series have been super focused on navigating bigger conflicts through that negotiation and that wit and that communication with others mm-hmm. so, yeah like yeah. the common tread in all those stories you just mentioned it is they are focused on the character's own like personal journeys of emotional maturity and becoming like fully realized capable people from the place they started out and then there are romantic romance storyline treads but like i think those are usually a secondary focus and like all those stories that you know i have read so yeah I, I definitely think like it's a very different kind of story structure and focus uh than you might expect from again the shonen jump like action first focus type stories and yona sort of has its own for- formula from arc to arc of like they go to a new place they discover like what the danger is there mid arc they encounter Suwon and what he's doing there <laughs> sorta but like that's very much its own thing and i think that it works in this context and it changes as it goes on too and volume 31 that just came out in english breaks that formula mm-hmm. it feels like a real paradigm chain <laughs> i just read it last night there's a lot going on in it <laughs> i'm stressed <laughs> but- I was Anyways. writing my review and I was not okay. <laughs> so, and you know what? I'm going to be here. I'm going to be the fighty one. I don't like, I, I, I like some Shonen Jump manga and anime, but yeah. uh, overall I get really tired of the formula. That's fair. I get tired yeah. of the Naruto's and the bleaches. Um, <laughs> and so I'm really, really glad that Yona is not like that. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't want it to be. I would get so Ooh. bored of it so fast if yeah. uh, all of a sudden, like, Suwon was like, now I have my own four dragons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'd just be a completely different series. I it would be, and it wouldn't be a series. <laughs> I, and I, want, I want the series that Yona is so much more than I want the series that you are proposing with this like yeah like when they introduce just whips out powers (laughs) yeah when they introduce new characters it's not like with the goal of oh these characters are gonna have one-on-one matchups against the dragons at some point like that's not (laughs) the case when they introduce like the five stars of jing or whatever and like oh they are all gonna have their own one-on-one matchups Mm -hmm. with the dragons no it's like they have their own relationships with different characters and they have their own role in the story and their own growth that relates to the overall what's going on in the arc. It's not about like fighting as conflict as much as if anything, it's about avoiding fighting if you can help it and trying to resolve situations through like negotiations, but like being able to fight when you have to, to protect people. So I appreciate that perspective of the series. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I think there's like a fundamental misreading when it comes to like, oh, Jonah is overpowered. What exactly makes you think that? Because, okay, yeah. I guess she has influence from being like, uh, like having the, the, the four dragons, but that's not technically her power. At the end of the day, like she's been learning about herself and how other people like exist and live. And like part of her emotional journey is uh, recognizing that other people have just as much of a right to make their own decisions and she's never going to actually force the dragons to do anything like at the happy hungry bunch is basically a family and you don't order your family mm-hmm. that's like no i was gonna say like that just directly clashes with like everything that she's learned and absolutely like just like the, the, the part of the, the comment like that she can literally sit back in her couch and eat grapes while other people do things for her is that actually going to mm-hmm. happen though because she's always on the front no. lines also she, like, yeah. she wants to be Exactly, and uh, she's mm-hmm. got a, the advisor breathing down her neck, waiting mm-hmm. for her to relax. She can't sit back. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's what I, I don't know. Like it's just it, it's kind of just taking that lens of like, like oh the the Shonen Jump formula or like how characters act uh, in like other series for other demographics is just you're you're kind of just like like just reading what you want. It's kind of like projecting yeah. almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. if that's what you want, you can find a lot of other stories that will fulfill that purpose. But exactly. yeah. this story has its yeah. own goals and intentions and its own conclusions working towards. In it's doing it in a different way than right. what you might expect based on other types of stories. Yeah, normally I go feel that way. like these questions come a lot of it from just sort of trying to pigeonhole it as an action story. Mm-hmm. As opposed to trying to understand it as a shoujo story that is has a lot of action in it, so I don't want to say that your reading of it is wrong, but <laughs> yeah, uh, your reading of it is wrong. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> well, sorry. At the very least, it it is misunderstanding. Like, I feel like at least yeah. portions of the story. I mean, it is fundamentally misunderstanding what who Yona's character is. Of you know, she isn't going to just. She's not a passive character. She's a proactive character. She is the one who wants to be front lines more than anyone, more than like her dragon. She alone will take on the responsibility alone of like trying to help people and improve things if she has to. And we've seen that time and again where she, on her own, independently, like separated from the dragons, will go out and try to like in the Jingar try and intercept and negotiate with Suan to stop the upcoming war and stuff. Like she puts herself out there because she cares. And that puts her in danger a lot of the time too. Like even though she has the dragon specter, like that doesn't again mean that she is invulnerable. Like especially again regarding the current arc, like as mentioned, Keishuk is waiting for her opportunities for her to slip up or scheming to like try and get rid of the dragons or get them out of the way somehow. So, you know, like there's constant tension in the story. Yeah. Also, I forgot who it was that mentioned it. Was it all of that? Like, oh, one of the dragons is definitely going to die. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's, it's either going to be Jeha or Gija. I just know it. I think it's going to be Zeno because he's immortal. He's lived the longest life and 
to be honest, I think that he's ready to die. He probably appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's the thing, though. That just because it's his time, it's not going to happen. It's not. Gonna I happen. counter you because I said earlier. At least I think it's both Zeno and Jr. dying, and I'm not okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I could see it. I could see it. Okay, yeah, if it's too late. No matter what, I would like Sinha to survive to the end, though. But he will. we will see. Sinha, we'll see. Sinha. He's the most baby. I think yeah, he's exactly. the most likely, him and Ghidra are also the most likely to survive because their story arcs clearly still have a lot character-wise to continue post all of this in terms yeah. of like, emotional maturity and growth and just interacting with people. Also, haven't seen the world yeah. as much as Jeha and Zeno, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. I think they have a lot more room to explore themselves than you know Jeha and Zeno, who have kind of reached a certain state of maturity, where they could yeah. say at the end that, "Hey, I've lived a fulfilling life, and I'm at peace." At you know, departing. Mm-hmm. This also doesn't mean I want them to die. I'm just bracing myself. For <laughs> no, <this>. not at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, out of context, this will probably sound bad, but I'm. I'm- I'd be fine if Zeno died just because I think he deserves to rest, quite honestly. He deserves yeah. peace, no. Yes. Yeah. I imagine no. him to, like, do that manga thing where the immortal character, like, slowly crumbles away to dust with a smile on their face staring at everyone yeah. they love. I'm just okay. like, it's gonna happen. And I'm I can visualize cry. it. And then he sees a vision of yeah. his departed wife his as he wife. passes away. Oh, she oh, says, God. yeah. Stop, uh, stop writing like, Yoda of the Dawn. <laughs> Oh, uh, she tells them, oh, you did good, and they get reunited like, in the afterlife, yeah. A, re- a reverse of that shot where, like, they keep showing that, where, like, she turns into a skeleton. Yeah. And she goes she this time. Oh, I'm not okay! Oh. Yeah, oh, none of this is canon, but it exists in my head. What if you die? If this happens in, like, five, six, whatever many years from now when the series actually ends. If this happens, we all gotta go back on the internet and be like, we called it! <laughs> 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 yeah, we have audio evidence, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> actually, speaking of crying, I actually kind of want to get to the next comic, because I, I have feelings point, on point. that this actually... Yeah, yeah. this oh, next question yeah, yeah. is intertwined with this previous one, because it addresses a, a lot of our, you know, rebuttals to it, but yeah, Oreo Zeno also had a question about, you know, they see a lot of hate towards Yona because people see her as a weak crying MC and they drop the show before she has her developments. And they ask what drew us to the show or the manga and what do we think of people who see her character that way? They note that a lot of people dislike her because they believe it's unrealistic how she's so OP after being a spoiled princess, but then gets way more backlash versus other male main characters in our series. And they would like our opinions on the Christmas towards that, which I think we addressed a bit. And um, they also have opinions on Soan, because they also know a lot of people hate him. Um, they want to know what is stopping us from either hating or loving him and would like a deep dive into his character. And yeah, that's basically <laughs> their multi-part question there. <laughs> All right. Can I just... No, I was just going to say that that whole thing about like, oh, people can't get into this thing because the main character cries too much. Uh, I s- certainly can't think of another series where... Uh, that happens totally not my hair academia i, I mean just, crying you know. every shonen protagonist cries so this criticism of like oh, God, oh. All cry so much yeah it's like, just misogyny it's just misogyny it's, it's misogyny period yeah it is i think oh a girl yeah. is crying she's so weak like, the anime shows at the beginning, like, her standing, a flash forward of her standing on a cliff being all fucking strong. 
god. Oh, yeah. I was literally gonna bring like, that up. I'm like, <laughs> literally the cold open in the first episode is like, we're begging you, please keep watching. Look, she becomes so no. mad at Yeah, yeah Yoda <laughs> is staring down like, Kai soldiers. We see her, like, even fire arrows at the Kai soldiers the in the second does, episode. I don't think the manga does that. The manga just dies no. right in. But no, even but the I, manga shows, of, like, a, a scene of Yona and Hawk, like, trekking on their own, like, independently. Oh, yeah. It doesn't show that Yona has become, like, a warrior yet, but... And people will try to be like, oh, well, it's because she's acting like a spoiled brat and crying over a boy and stuff, and I'm like... Yeah, her people do that. She's a teenager. (laughs) Yeah. She's a teenager. And and I think also, too, I always find it really interesting because some of the best stories, I think, are ones where you don't 100% like the main character initially. Mm -hmm. I think that's interesting. So, I don't know. To me, I'm like, why, why would you not? It clearly changes within the first couple chapters. Why would you not? try to see if there is a intention for why the main character is quote-unquote unlikable initially because i wasn't her number one fan in the first beginning because you're not supposed to be and no the manga mizuo kusanagi smart like and i think that's the thing is sometimes i'm like what do you think the author would intentionally make an unlikable character in the beginning for no reason. Like, there's clearly going to be a reason around it, usually. Yeah, it reminds me. Yeah, yeah. crying going... is not weakness. Like, admitting no. that you're hurting, that you feel scared, and yeah. or uncertain about self, that's not weakness. Also, that is a starting point a for your growth. on a boy when you're a teenage girl! And I say that as <laughs> a queer woman. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say, go, going back to the point of like, oh, why yeah. would the author make an unlikable character for no reason in the beginning? Immediately, the first thing I thought of was Bakugo. Like, Thank yeah. you! <laughs> and everyone loves Bakugo! Now he's the most he popular character the most po- popular character in all the character popularity polls. Yeah. And that's because he has a good journey from where he starts out as just this total bully to someone where we see more nuances to him, uh-huh. more vulnerabilities to him. You know, mm-hmm. that's that emotional complexity is what makes it good character. And that's yeah. the point Love of Yona's son. character is that she starts out from this place where she's kind of lives a life of privilege and not that many worries, but then she goes out and has to struggle with both the trauma of seeing her dad be killed by mm. the person she loved and cherished most in the world. And then she ends up like, Deciding, hey, I want to be able to protect myself because I see like how hard Hawk and other people are trying to protect me. And then she goes and sees, hey, like the other people in this kingdom, the normal people, like they're, you know, really struggling and I want to help them. I want to do what I can to help these people. Like she has like such a strong growth in terms of where she starts out and to where she goes and continues to grow. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's great. That's a dynamic character. Yeah. yeah, look at also, there's so many. Naruto was an obnoxious butt in the first volume. <laughs> Yato was annoying as hell in the first volume mm-hmm. in Noragam. Like, how many series out there do you, are you just like, God, you shut up? Because it's yeah. about no, maturity it's, and growing up. It's yeah. just misogyny and it's just hatred of teenage girls. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm just that's all there is to it and i say this as someone who like loves strong female characters there's more to it 
there's more to a character's journey than just being strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, like, hey, also, I read 12 Kingdoms as a teenager. Like, <laughs> I watched yes. 12 Kingdoms. Like, guess what? So maybe it also has something to do with a lack of genre savvy when it comes to these kinds of stories, specifically yeah, when it ha- mm. they have female protagonists. Mm. I don't know. I think it's a combination of a lot of things. But, boy, these last few questions really have me realizing that you just can't goddamn win. Because <laughs> oh, we yeah. got someone <laughs> here yeah, complaining that she's I'm overpowered. In this question, there's people <laughs> criticizing Yona for being weak and crying at the start, and then there are people criticizing her for being overpowered, quote-unquote. Like, yeah. And where's, someone else criticizing her that it doesn't follow shonen tropes. Like, this is... I'm, this is why, like, we don't get any fucking action shoujo these days. Because no matter what, someone's going, like, someone's going to bitch about some aspect of it. Yeah, exactly. And then, <laughs> yeah. And then if we point out that, no, it's not that, it doesn't fit these tropes, suddenly I hate Shonen or something like that. And, like, obviously, like, Caitlin, I know you're not the biggest fan of it and that that's more than fine. Like, people can like yeah, yeah. and not like things. But also, it's, like, just acknowledging that Manga doesn't fit one mold. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I'm kind of dreading the resurgence of this kind of conversation with Jolene when part six comes out. Because Jolene, oh, similarly, starts out from a place where she's not super confident. <laughs> like, she has an attitude at the beginning, but she also, like, is, like, freaking out at the start. But then she becomes a stone-cold badass. And you then mean, it's like, like, every other main character of JoJo's Like, every, literally, every JoJo. Like, if there's going to be criticism of her when there was none of, like, Jonathan, Joseph, star oh and it's like Jesus. that's gonna be so aggravating but i have seen this criticism of jolene like for a long time as long as i've been a fan of jojo and it's oh it's so infuriating man guys jolene is such a mary sue am i right Ugh. <laughs> i'm I going to walk out of this conversation right now <laughs> <laughs> that's totally fair can i just say i i want i want to bring up how uh I feel like these, like, criticisms of Yona really remind me of, um, way back in the day, you know, when I was very involved in, like, One Piece fandom, and I would constantly see people who, who really hated, uh, Vivi in particular, uh, from Alabasta, <sighs> who, who, she's a, wow. she's a- Vivi is my favorite character, by the way. No, yeah, for sure, like, she's a great character, and I realize that now, but I will fully admit, as a teenager, I was definitely a part of that bandwagon where, like, because she wasn't as good at fighting as, like, the other characters, I saw her as lesser. But, you know, revisiting the series as an adult, like, I very much appreciate her character now as yeah. as someone who who literally, quite literally, has, like, the weight of her entire kingdom on her shoulders. And, you know, the, yeah. like, all that stuff where, like, especially near the end, where all she can do is, like, you know, beg people to stop fighting and everything like that. Yeah, that's so much more emotionally, you know, resonant nowadays. Where, again, obviously, again, I'll fully admit I was definitely one of those people who was like, "Man, she can't even fight." I don't, e- I don't even know why people like her or whatever. Like, you know, like it's, I just, it, it just goes back to the thing we were talking about. Like, just because like a female character can't fight, unfortunately, some people will see those characters as lesser, and that's just, that's just unfortunate. But then yeah. if she can fight, she's overpowered. Really, yeah, like, it's... I think well, that was such a great character. To me, like, that... Her arc is similar to Yona and Riri's arcs in this series. Yeah. Like, she is just a 
she is a capable warrior who is trying her best to do everything in her power to protect her kingdom. And I thought that was so fascinating as a kid, like immediately glommed onto her story. Yeah. And yeah, like to this day, I think she's one of the strongest. But even in discussion of like, oh, characters, like especially female characters who can't fight aren't strong. And especially if they cry, like I think with one of the strongest things Nami did in One Piece in the Arlong Park arc was when she finally just asked Luffy for help, when she finally stopped putting it all on herself and said, hey, I need help with this. Can you help me? I There's a, just a complete absence of like recognition that it is not a weakness to need to ask for help. It is not a weakness to not be strong enough to do something on your own. But it's a strength of character to recognize, like, when you need help, recognize, like, when you're feeling scared or uh, uncertain about something and be able to confess that to other people and work through that together Mm -hmm. with someone else. That is strength. That communication, Mm -hmm. that honesty about how you're feeling is strength. That's the whole point of Shonen Jump is friendship (laughs) is strength. How was that lost on people? (laughs) I haven't read One Piece, but I actually wouldn't mind bringing this and translating this subconvo back into the genre of Yona. So, Caitlin, yeah. I'm going to bring a Fushugi Yugi reference oh, in here. Yay. <laughs> so, uh-huh. if, if we want to talk about characters who, when I was younger and encountered, I hated, and then now I'm reading it as an adult, and I'm like, oh my god, look at this right? nuance. Mm-hmm. Right? I love Can we talk about now. Yui? Can we talk about Yui? And how I hated her. I hated her as a kid. And now that I'm an adult rereading Fushigi Yugi, I'm like, you were emotionally manipulated, abused, and traumatized. I can't blame you for the way you acted entirely. Like, holy cow, girl. So, I mean, if we want to talk examples of nuance and stuff in a more Mm -hmm. genre that Yona lives in, I think Yui... Mm -hmm. Hongo in Fushigi Yugi is a great example of... Right. You first meet her. I mean, but also... Miyaka, like Miyaka yes. is a character. Yeah. Miyaka is a character who cries all the time and needs to be protected and wants hamburgers. I and believe loves <laughs> and, and never and and she doesn't really develop that like physical strength and independence that Yona does. But mm-hmm. she's still a great heroine if you like she actually is. pay attention to the story and what the story is doing. And mm-hmm. I adore her, and I love, like, and I, I feel for her when she tries and messes up, and she tries and messes up, and yes, she does make some extremely frustrated choices that piss me off so bad. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, in terms of her emotional journey, I think it's a great series. I don't want to go totally on one about Fushigi Yugi, but, you know, look up Fushigi Yugi on Anime yeah. Feminist if you want to see, like, all of me just totally like going on <laughs> and on about yeah. it yeah and your show like you were on the yeah. show hotel yeah <laughs> people want heroines to fit one particular mold and then other people will get upset if they don't fit that one particular mold yeah and it's all just very very frustrating because you really don't see those with male characters mm-hmm. no not at not least at not nearly as often yeah mm-hmm I mean, speaking of male characters, just to kind of go back real quick to to their questions. (laughs) Yeah, go go back to the point about Suwon in particular. (sighs) Something that's becoming a big pet peeve of mine is the whole thing where, like, just because a character is unlikable means that, like, 
they're like a bad character. That's how pe- some people equated anyway. Like I get kind of mm-hmm. tired of seeing that. And I mean, I think with Suwon, I and we, I think we probably talked about it a lot last time too. Is that like Suwon? Like I can understand why people wouldn't like him, but like you can't say he's not a complex character. And I think yeah, I appreciate yeah. the way Kusanagi writes him in particular because we were mm-hmm. also talking about how like. It would be so easy for Suwon, I think, to be, like, the big bad arch rival that Yona has to fight for, like, the entirety of the mm-hmm. series. But there's, like, a real mm-hmm. complex relationship between the two I of them. I love that. that yeah. It's, it's so good. It's hard to, like, see yeah. it too black and white, especially when, you know, Suwon is the one that killed Yona's father. Like, despite that, like, you, you really, their relationship is really, really, really interesting to see how it, like, plays out and, like. I don't know. It's just a really interesting relationship to think about and see. Yeah, how it he's not the antagonist of the series. He's like the deuteragonist of the series. He's yeah. like an anti-hero. Like, if you're definitely sympathizing with Yona, like, definitely you can be, you know, upset at him, like, murdering King Il in front of her. But everything yeah. we see of Suwon in the series is like him going out there to try and fix the Koka kingdom and just try and improve things. And again, what draws Yona and Suwon into conflict is, you know, sometimes they disagree about what the best way to do that, which really was shown off in the Zing arc. But, yeah. you know, I think, and now currently they're kind of at odds of like who, you know, the people like respond to and want to see as their leader and stuff. But yeah, like I, I think Suwon is like a really complex character. I don't think that, you know, there he's shown any behaviors that is super hateable. But I think we also just really understand like why he did what he did, why he's doing what he's doing now. So mm-hmm. I think because like he's he's not a one-dimensional like character. He's multidimensional. It's like hard to just hate him. And even if like he did do something really despicable, I feel like You'd still understand him if, like, it was something you can understand why he would do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's part, honestly, Suwon is part of why I kept on continuing with the series, because mm-hmm. uh, even, like, I think, was it during Awa where they finally meet again? And yeah. uh, he's like, you can kill me, but not now. Like, I still have yeah. something that I have to do. And it's mm-hmm. like, he acknowledges, like, what he did was, like, terrible. And, yeah. But he, he has, like, a purpose. And, like, it's actually kind of compelling seeing a character like that in, in like an antagonistic position because like i feel like getting that kind of moral complexity is something that <laughs> the people who are like comparing this to like like shonen manga and stuff like you're not getting that from that kind of series usually you're like missing you're missing the forest for the trees or whatever is what i right. what i think of yeah yeah my thing with suan is also I think a lot of times with Suwon is people often mistakenly conflate two different two very different things, which is mm-hmm. I don't like Suwon. I love reading Suwon. Mm-hmm. Those are very different. I don't like what Suwon's done. I don't agree with most of what the nonsense he's working on in the recent arc and yada yada yada. Uh spoilers. But I love reading Suwon because of that complexity. And again, I don't I don't want to bring it up too much because I, I agree with your previous point. I think I'm trying a little to keep the discussion. I don't want to constantly be comparing Yona to Shonen because I don't want it to exist only mm-hmm. in a comparison point to yeah. Shonen. Yeah, because yeah. there's so many different things out there. 
But yeah. 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 It should be understood in its own context, not in contrast to this yes. other yeah. ideal or standard. Yeah, yes. we don't we, yeah, if we keep doing that, not that it's not interesting, but we also don't yeah. want to like be too reductive, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're right. And I also think it's interesting because, you know, part of the story is that Yona and Hawk have to deal with their mixed feelings with Soan. Like they want in their minds to think of Soan as just as someone they can't ever forgive, like a villain in their minds. But as they continue to understand like his character, what he's trying to do, what he they feel like they have to let go of that hatred. Or like they make peace of like they'll never be able to forgive Suan. But they can at least, you know, maintain like a peaceful like coexistence with him or like let go of that anger resentment towards him. So mm-hmm. I think that's another interesting part of the story, especially with Hawk and just like how furious he was when he first re-encountered Suwon in Awa. And then like to the point he had to re- realize he had to check those feelings and calm down to the point they worked together in the Say arc. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we should probably get to the next question, though. Yeah. Yeah. yeah those address uh, questions about Yona specifically. And now we'll get to. I mean, if we want to get to the question about Hawk first or Yoon first, uh, I'll leave it to you guys. But I guess since we were on the subject, Hawk, well, you know, it is on. Did have a question about Hawk's backstory. And I guess just what we think of it, you know, speculating how when his parents died, how he ended up being adopted by Lundok uh, and stuff like that. And uh, I guess we don't have that many details about, like, the circumstances of his parents' uh, death and, like, everything in his life before he got adapted by Moondock. Like, looking it up just on the wiki earlier when I was, like, thinking about this. Like, apparently in a fan book, they said that their, his parents died in the previous Xing War. Hmm. So, you know, I feel like if it was going to be brought up again, it probably would have been in the Xing arc. But... Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I yeah, don't know if I, it's like a necessary part of the story. I don't really have any strong feelings about Hawk's backstory because mm, it's neither. very vague. Yeah. And to be honest, like what we get is not particularly interesting. It's not like this is the trauma he went through that made him like this. It's just like very like, yeah, he was raised by this guy in the wind tribe. Mm-hmm. He's super strong. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's not a whole lot there to grab onto. Yeah, mm-hmm. his his family. I've met his family that Kusanagi has deemed to tell me is important. Yeah, um, yeah not exactly. like his parents aren't important, but I do, I'm not married to this idea that I have to meet Hawk's birth parents to know his right. story. And also, mm-hmm. I feel like there's also the part of me where I'm like, Kusanagi is more than proven at this point that if there's information I need to know, it's going to get revealed when it needs to get revealed. So for mm-hmm. all I know, it's going to come up and be very relevant towards the end. Or not at all. But yeah, it's kind of one yeah. of those things where I, I've learned what I need to learn in his flashbacks. Yeah. I don't, similar to Caitlin, I don't feel a deep need to know about his birth parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a fan of tendency to like want to know everything about a character's life, especially like their family relationships, if their family is never yeah. shown in the story. And I get but that. In the case of, yeah. yeah, but in the case of Yona, like I don't think Hawk's birth parents are necessary because Moondock was his meant to figure his father figure growing up and we saw their relationship we see his relationship with the members of the wind tribe which are his family you know and we see like the relationships that matter to him the most as a kid which is 
goes with Yona and Suwon. So, like, if they are somehow relevant, his parents, uh, to understanding his character in the future, maybe that'll get brought up. But I don't think it's, like, a big deal. I, I love as a fan theorizing and learning as much as I can about characters. I think it's just when I'm speaking on something as mm-hmm. much as I had fun theorizing about Zeno earlier, that was future. <laughs> like I try to avoid too hard. Theor- it's there's that line of, I don't want to theorize too much about canon or not because yeah. I don't want someone to misinterpret yeah. what I yeah, say it's... as actual canon. Yeah. It, it's a lot more fun to think about than it is to talk about, honestly. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So. Yeah, I guess then we'll move on to another question from Oreo Zeno about Yun. And Yun's their favorite character, and they ask, like, do they think there will be more for him, or is what we've been shown so far it? You know, they comment about, like, yeah, Yun, you know, mutters them in the wild. He's a doctor when that heals them when they fall ill. He cares about them as patient no matter what. You know, do they think, do we think that there's more to his story than uh, what his character has been, the role he's played so far? Basically, so. when were you? So. Yeah. yeah. I do think Yoon hasn't really had a lot to do recently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He has been mostly just kind of patching them up when they need it and being kind of maternal. And that's really all that's been it. See, mm-hmm. see, here's my here's my thing. Like, I like Yoon. I think he's a fun character. And I like his role in the story so far. But like, I mean. Maybe Kusanagi will prove me wrong, and also I've only read about maybe close to twenty volumes of the series, so I'm I'm not yeah. really I'm not really caught up. But with that being said, you know, as much as I like Yoon, I'm not really like I'm not that desperate to learn more about him because I feel like we know we know as much of him as like we're supposed to. Like, mm-hmm. right? I'm not saying there's nothing else you can explore with Yoon, but I I feel like we need to know as much about him as we need to. But again, yeah, I'm more than willing to see if like if Kusanagi can somehow find another angle to explore his character. That's also fine. But for now, I'm I'm fine with what we have. But that's just me. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think he serves I mean, his role in the group well. And I uh, like I don't I don't think we need more Yoon backstory. Mm-hmm. I feel like I would like to see more character arc from him when the time is right right now the focus right now it has been kind of a larger scale Mm -hmm. when there is time and it might be coming up based on the latest volume Mm -hmm. to see more about like what you wants out of life because he wants to be more educated yeah he's 15 years old he's a 15 year old Mm -hmm. boy so just get a, a sense of him who he is more outside of his role within the group because he doesn't necessarily have the destiny of helping Yona. You know, for the dragons, it's their entire purpose in life. Like, Hawk's place in the world is next to Yona. But what is life going to look like for Yoon when this whole thing is over? If if it's ever over. (laughs) Yona's advisor. That is, the time has not come for that yet. Yeah. But I would mm. like to see it eventually. Absolutely. I definitely agree with that. Like, I don't get the vibe that his character arc has resolved quite yet, but I'm mm-hmm. see- I'm sensing hints. And like you said, in the most recent volume, 
right. I'm getting a vibe that he's considering a lot more his forward progression, whether right. it becomes the immediate focus, I can't say, but it's definitely something that he's clearly thinking about in the background. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the dragon, like the dragons are all adults. They're mostly formed as people. Sina is working on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, <laughs> you know, Yona, she's the main character. Of course, we're seeing her arc. Um, like I said, Hawk, his place is next to Yona. We are also seeing his arc as their relationship evolves. But Yoon is still a child. Yoon should be should be changing and evolving. He should be, you know, learning more and growing more. And I'm fine with that. Not like I said, not being the focus because he's not the main character. But I, you know, I I want to see more sense of the knowledge that Yoon is still very much a child and that hints of the path that he's going to take to become the man that he will be. Yeah. I would like to see some focus on Yoon, like mull that over and then consider like what he wants next out of his life. And hopefully, yeah, we do see that in the story, like when things kind of calm down or reach a point where characters can have like these moments of self-reflecting of like what's going to happen next for us after this so yeah yeah and we move from the question about you back to a question about hawk from elisa lolita and they ask like they'd love to hear us discuss like how hawk is portrayed as a bodyguard uh, and the bodyguard trope but literally and figuratively like it's one of their favorite tropes but they've rarely been done as well as in yona like Hawk starts off as nothing but a bodyguard with an intense drive for survival for survival's sake, and it's because of him that Yona is able to break away from her fearful mindset and start realizing that she's stronger than she's given herself credit for. And by the end, or at the current moment, Hawk stepped back and allowed her to take the lead, make decisions, he follows her orders, she knows that she's strengthened herself to the point she can be her first line of defense when she needs to be. And they appreciated that this happened in such a slow, beautifully realistic way. Like, he's still her bodyguard. He's still in the bodyguard trope. But, you know, he plays so well against Yona, like, starting off as a weak but silly, but now becoming strong and indomitable. And, yeah, they just want to hear us discuss, like, why we think that dynamic is just so uh, alluring. Um, so I have a question, but it's really more of a comment. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, no. I'm just kidding, mostly. Uh, <laughs> I'm ready. I'm loving mm. this build-up. This is great. No, no, I'm sorry. I was uh, gently poking fun at the question asker. Oh, I was going <laughs> to say, you're getting us... I, I thought you were, like, getting us ready. I was like, oh, I'm ready to hear this. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm excited. <laughs> no, I was, um, you know, the, the kind of questions, like, well, I want to ask what you think of this, and then they give a long discussion of what they think of a thing, and thing. so what do <laughs> you think? They answer their own question, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but I, because, I, it's an interesting see, comment, I though, mean, yeah. They didn't really whole, leave us with a whole lot. They kind of covered mm. they, they kind of covered the discussion. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, you I, know, I, I, I am, that, I I am that question asker in the reverse situation, so I can't judge. I've been that question asker. <laughs> Same here. I mean, no, I believe yeah. we all have been, but yeah. then, you know, at the end of the day, like, you're just kind of like, yep. Yeah, yeah, no, asking question of like, hey, what are your thoughts on this? These are my thoughts, and I give you a paragraph <laughs> about what my thoughts are, but what do you think? Yeah. No, but we appre- I, th- I appreciate the question. Like, they, I think they are on the mark of, like, why it's uh, such a great trope, and I, we did discuss this in our previous conversation how we appreciate like 
Hawk and Yona's relationship and how it grows. Like, Hawk starts off with, like, wanting to keep Yona away from the action. His idea of keeping her safe is, like, not getting her involved in fighting, not teaching her how to fight. Then he starts to like, okay, this will give her some confidence, so I'll trepidatiously do it. And then it goes to a point where, you know, he understands, like, hey, she is capable of uh, defending herself. And he starts to go from a place of like, oh, I don't want to, like, hide you away anymore. Like, I want to show you off and, like, what a cool person you've become. And then he takes pride in, like, how her skills have grown. Like, in that one archery contest where she hits, like, the bullseye and she's, like, he's, like, beaming proud of like how good how well she did like she he says like that's my girl and stuff like that you know so yeah and like he never stops worrying about yona especially like when they're separated and she's in danger but he also trusts her and her ability to take care of herself and so like when they do you know voluntarily separate in the jing arc like he He's able to do that, trusting that Yona will be okay and be confident in that. And so that he can go off and do his thing while letting her do her thing. And I appreciate that. And also, he's kind of turned on by the relationship. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We, uh, I mean, I feel like we did, like, discuss this quite a bit in the last episode. Yeah. I I feel like we we did cover a lot of that ground. But yeah, I enjoy the relationship. I enjoy it. You know, it's like I, good, yeah. I said mm-hmm. in the previous episode, I loved the moment where he's like, yeah, I want to show you off to the world. I want everyone to see how amazing you are. Instead of being like, I want to hide you away and protect you. Mm-hmm. I thought that yeah. was really cool and kind of and speaks a lot towards them having a much healthier relationship than mm-hmm. you see in a lot of shoujo manga. So, I mean, yeah, no, they've they've got a good relationship. Mm-hmm. I think it's yeah. very very hard to do a relationship between, like, basically a bodyguard and a princess in a way that doesn't sort of set off alarm bells for mm-hmm. me because yeah. the power dynamics in it. Yeah, yeah, but Kusanagi manages it really really well here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think part of that is just the fact that. Part of it is just, I think, the fact that from the beginning we know how Hawk has, like, always, like, been aware of his position as, like, a like a vassal. Like, I want to mm-hmm. use that word instead of bodyguard because uh, almost all of his actions have been from the point of view of someone who's just basically, like, protecting his lord and, like, making sure mm-hmm. that whatever decisions she makes, like, he, he allows her to make decisions as long as, like, they don't, like, jeopardize her safety or whatever. And, like, mm-hmm. as the series progresses and he realizes, like, oh, she has these ideals that I feel are worth, like, like letting her explore and, like, getting the strength to be able to uphold them. I think part of that is what really, like, drives the appeal of, of their relationship because he's basically, like, I don't know how to, how to say that. He reminds me a lot of, like, um, you know, like, uh, like Merlin in, like, the King Arthur stories where he's basically, like, mm. the one enabling King Arthur to be able to, like... Hmm come to greatness mm. or whatever like he's the one who who have seen yona from like the beginning and knows like exactly what she's capable of so as like she she like like learns more about the world and uh like figures out like exactly what she wants to do um he's always been like nudging her uh, along that direction as long as like he knows that it it's something that's good for her personal growth and like 
seeing uh people like support each other in that sense like growing as people is always like very satisfying to read oh yeah Mm -hmm. it does make me think of a fanfic i once read that was basically in the future where yona is queen and she and hawk never like got married and hawk is like why why won't you marry me and because she's like if I get married, they're going to expect whoever I marry to become in charge. They're mm. going to expect a king and his queen, and not a queen and her king. Right. Um, no prince so, consort, just a king. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and I thought that was a really interesting take on their relationship. That was very insightful. Um, and then it it turned out to be a horny fanfic. Oh, well, that's, that's fun in <laughs> its own right, way. Well, but I, it I like that concept a lot because it plays upon like the idea at the beginning of the manga where King Il is telling Yoda, hey, whoever marries you is going to be expected to be king ruler of exactly. this country one day. Like, no one was expecting her to really have a, a voice in the decision making of the kingdom in the future. It's just all about who she was going to marry was going to be the next ruler of Koka. Which was why she was a silly, frivolous princess who didn't really know anything about anything. Yeah, mm-hmm. nothing was expected at first, so she was never really taught anything about the world and what was going on in the kingdom. And that's why she had to go out there and learn it all for herself. And now I think that she herself has earned enough respect to the point that if she were to ever take the throne she would be respected as the leader but mm-hmm. i mean that'd still be a point of conflict in the future of the story yeah. i'm sure like this Gee, guys idea i think echo like... chambers are bad yeah <laughs> <laughs> um by the way if anyone wants a link to that fanfic happy to provide hey yeah send yeah, it our way it and we'll DM. link it in the show notes yeah <laughs> <laughs> i just want to say real quick maybe before we like hit on to the next question that uh and, and maybe i might have said it on the last episode i honestly don't remember but um one thing i think we also mentioned like at the start of the series i wasn't sure how comfortable i was with like some of the banter between hawk and yona because of certain things that hawk may say to yona where i'm just mm-hmm. kind of like i don't mm-hmm. know about this but hawk be i want to tie you up and <laughs> yeah, be locked but- <laughs> away from everyone else yeah uh, that was hot <laughs> but the further i read on like i i kind of realized like Oh, like, they have the kind of relationship where, like, you can kind of say certain stuff to each other and it's fine, but, like, it'd be even weirder if, like, other people said that kind of stuff to you. It's it's, it's kind of one of those kinds of things, you know? Like, oh, I could say this about my friend, but you can't, so don't fuck it, Mm -hmm. step off or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, they have a history of teasing each other. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And, yeah, I think they're also, their power dynamic is equal, because, yeah, not only does he want to become more capable uh, and of like protecting herself and whatnot but yeah i mean the relationship is not like one of like one person has the power over the other person like they are both with each other out of like you know mutual uh love and compassion for each other you know as much as hawk is there to protect yona yona also wants to be someone who can protect him mm-hmm. so they really are more equals even if yona is the leader of their group yeah. yeah, and I think a lot of like that bodyguard dynamic when it gets uncomfortable is it's is a lot more <sighs> possessive usually, and then mm-hmm. sometimes even in the reverse, the feelings reverse. Like here, Hawk he teases, but the second she grabs his hand or like says something to him that she has no idea is like 
gonna get taken that way he is putty he is just like <laughs> i can't respond oh yes he <laughs> my dream woman is saying this word to me and it's not what she means but it's ah my brain is having a healthy god he just he's just, just wants to get, literally he, just wants to get it, he is the definition hmm. of hack.exe has stopped working and so it's an unintentional power balance, but Yoda's got more power than she thinks because she literally it's just brushes good. his hand and he's like, uh, he just freezes, doesn't know what to say, doesn't know what to do, falls mm-hmm. to the floor blushing, which yeah, is great because yeah. then you were reminded he's a teen boy. I think we could even use this to maybe get into the yeah. next set of questions. Yeah. I mean, that does bring us to a good place to discuss uh, yeah, Cool's question about you know, you're a hot romance. Like, they've read a lot of romance uh, series, and they feel there's something that sets Yona apart from others. They think it's super believable and effective, and they just want our thoughts on it. And there was a great conversation uh, they had with Eliza and Special Narwhal A47 that we're not going to read out loud, but I think it was a, a fun combo. I'll link the Reddit thread. Uh, of all these questions in the show notes for people, if people want to read this convo for itself, it's good. It's a good convo, but like, what are your guys' thoughts on like what oh, you find so appealing about the Romans? And we did talk about it a little bit in the uh-huh. last pod, but yeah, I think yeah, the- bre- my bread and butter, my soapbox. Uh, I need every, <laughs> I need every listener to just imagine that big bird kicking down the door gif, and you can replace <laughs> it with your image of me, even if that's a Bulbasaur in glasses. And I'm just going to kick out and say, did someone say emotional consent? (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, I have been screaming from the rooftop. No, and I did it last podcast. Uh, No, it's just the emotional consent. The fact that Hawk doesn't require her to respond to his feelings. And he respects that she has grief and other things she needs to address Mm -hmm. first. And that's similar to that earlier question of Jonas' just relationship with all the dragons and why they are treat her so well. Everyone, even the gu- men to the men, the boys to the boys, Yona, even Yona to the guys, everyone respects everyone's emotional consent. And when they don't, they realize they messed up and mm. fix it. And mm-hmm. that's my yeah. shortened version of the soapbox I was on last time. <laughs> <laughs> Every Yona review, you'll hear me yell it, so it's okay. I'll say it again. <laughs> Yeah, it bears repeating. Always. Yeah, I think it's just it, it's appropriate too because aside from all of that, like yeah, like she's going through grief and stuff, and like you gotta you you need time to process that kind of stuff, and not to mention like as they're like traveling, they're going and like they're meeting all of these people in different situations and like different kind of like political situations where uh, everyone has to like process and like kind of like get a feel for like the political environment around them and like making sure that like they don't like stand out in like a bad way and like basically attract the attention of suwan and the army and like having all of that stuff in the background is like yeah dude um it's kind of hard to focus on like maybe like macking on the person that you really like or whatever uh we're just gonna just you know (laughs) we're gonna chill we're gonna we're gonna figure out like things as they go okay and like Mm -hmm. when we get those moments is like that that chef's kiss where it's just like it's like the slowest of burns but that's how you make the best stew yeah i mean the moments where you know they share like a love commission passion which are are all the more satisfying because especially like in volume 30 when they're finally reunited after being separated for so long and they share big passionate kiss like that was a great moment and yeah like 
in general, I appreciate just the the slow maturation of Yona's feelings for Hawk uh, over the course of the story, because even though they knew each other throughout their, you know, childhood, like, it really isn't until after, like, they go on this journey together that Yona slowly starts to kind of realize that, you know, she has deeper feelings for Hawk than she previously thought, and she kind of grapples with them for for a long time. And she also struggles with, like, not wanting to keep hawk tied down to her and let him live his own life like not feel have him feel obligated to always stick by her side just because he was instructed to protect her like when they were young and stuff like that and so i appreciate you know their consideration for each other over the course of the story and then like ultimately their communication with each other and then even yeah. after the, the love confession it still takes like they're still processing like how they yeah. want to proceed with their, their relationship like they don't really have time to you know, be together, and even though they are together, so they still stuff. They are aware now of each other's feelings, but they still have other priorities. But like, they still, you know, they still really love each other. Like uh, mm-hmm. at the end of the big conflict with the the totally tri bark, and mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah, they both realize they're like a, an irreplaceable presence to the other, but they don't want to like, um, yeah, like monopolize each other because they realize mm-hmm. like they they both have their own roles to play and they both have their own relationships with other people. And, like, they're both, they both are also cared for by, like, the, the people they're traveling with, the Happy Hungry Bunch. And, like, you know, like, there there's, like, this awareness that, like, yeah, there's a time and place for this. Maybe we don't, because we don't always have, like, the kind of privacy that would, like, allow for that. But also, yeah, like, like I said earlier, like, there's stuff to do. And um, that's what makes, like, the, those, like, the more quiet moments together. I'm sure, like, that's, when when those moments come organically both like the reader and like the characters like treasure them that much more mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i just want to say everything you guys are saying i think is the reason why and for the record i usually kind of bounce off of romance stories but i think that's because most of the kinds of stories i end up reading are the kinds where like the romance isn't really that interesting to to, to see develop because it at least for a lot of the stories I've read, it always feels like, oh, we're just going to have this relationship spin its wheels so that way, like, you can kind of, like, revel in, like, how awkward or it is or whatever. I, I don't know if I'm explaining myself very well, but... Yeah, I, and I an like, over-reliance yeah. of wacky or contrived misunderstandings exactly conflict yeah. or tension. I, I hate that kind of stuff, personally, but I, I, I do like the way that at least for as far as I've read, how Yona and Hawk's relationship is developing, and I'm actually, like, invested in that relationship, and I want to see where it goes. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless anyone else has anyone uh, anything to say about their relationship? <laughs> good. Well, I guess we can move on. Yeah, so now we're moving on to questions about Yona's uh, themes, and we got one from Stressed Depressed, who asks about, you know, our thoughts on symbolism that's used in Yona, or feminist aspects about the manga. I'm not exactly mm, sure if I have anything I specifically to comment on, personally. Well, one symbol they cite in their question is how birds are used. And in particular, I do think a good symbol of the yona Suwon relationship is the hawk they, ra- they raise to get her gelfin. And we see, like, that hawk fly around in the sky in transitional scenes, kind of mirroring, like, their goals in the story or their relationship in the story. So mm-hmm. I think that's a good recurring a symbol of like 
how they are still connected to each other yeah, uh, yeah. through their past history. And even now that they are separate and have like, you know, separate goals or or separate uh, intentions of achieving like a similar goal, like they still connected through that, like a, that tie they had. And right. the, what they nurtured together, symbolically through the form of the talk. Yeah. Well, yeah, Gelfin's very interesting because it's specifically Hawk and Suwon who are so opposed to each other. Mm-hmm. Versus, I mean, obviously Yona and Suwon are opposed to each other as well, but like Hawk, as we've seen, has a lot more violent manifestation, festa- uh, manifestations, I can speak, of that <laughs> pain. So mm-hmm. I would say, yeah, Gelfin is an interesting. Something that's not grounded, something that's in the air and a lot feeling a lot more free and like the wind in the sky. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't know what this counts, but like Oh my god, I see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) The wind in the sky. I'm leaving. Caitlin wins that. That's the yep, there it is. Yeah. I was actually gonna bring that up, but like I don't know if it's if it counts as like symbolism, but like the way that like the main character or you know, like the 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 focal characters of like each of the tribes they kind of like reflect what their tribe is from or whatever like you know uh suwan is from the sky tribe he's like all-encompassing he has like this great vision for the country to protect it and to basically make it stronger to be able to stand up to all of these people or all of these other countries that it's surrounded by uh hawk is like yeah he's wind but uh, he's also he could be like a like a gust like a storm when it comes to like his emotions and uh yeah, like uh, in the Nadai arc, where the Water Tribe was uh, like being ravaged by like this whole drug problem, Riri was like basically like kind of like trying to adapt and, and like trying to figure out like what she can do. You know how like water takes the form of whatever container it's in or whatever, and you know mm-hmm. it's, it's, you can keep going with stuff like that. That's what I thought of when I read the question. Mm-hmm. As far as like images and symbols, again, that's there may be like cultural context that I just will go over my head. I mean, there's the standard mm. symbolism that they frequently use that's in the own title, uh, the, mm. the symbolism of sunrise, dawn. There's, Her hair is I know red. the anime utilized a flower with the petals falling off of it and being blown away in the wind. I know the anime used mm-hmm. that a lot in the opening credits, uh, the image of a flower kind of. Not wilting, but the petals kind of blowing off of it. Oh, yes, yeah, just like yeah. when Yona cut her hair. Yep. <laughs> yep. They they weren't subtle about it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, as far as any more specific symbols that may have a more cultural standpoint, uh, they if they are there, which I wouldn't be surprised, but it would have gone over my head. Mm-hmm. I said it as like a joke, but like uh, when we were talking about like the, oh, Suwon is like, oh, the the other here are my four dragons. I was like, oh, here are my tigers. Like, I wonder if there was gonna be like a like a tiger to counteract the dragons at some point. The four tigers. <laughs> That'd be funny. <laughs> that would be fun. And then I guess only other thing that comes to mind right now would be just the pin that Suwon gave Yona at the beginning of the story that she initially mm. clung on to. You know to give her kind of emotional strength, but then ultimately reached a point in the Jing arc where she was able to finally let go of that. And of course, that pin represents her relationship with Suwon and her 
feelings towards them, like finally getting to the point after like, you know, not being able to really let go of those feelings to the point where like, okay, I'm ready to let go of like my animosity, my feelings with this guy and, you know, trade it away, you know, for the betterment, for the future of this kingdom I want to protect. Is there any thoughts we have about, like, a particular feminist aspect about the manga that we want to discuss? Or should we move on to the next question? I mean, it's kind of been wrapped up in everything we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Already, I think so, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Like I said, I don't openly call words feminists unless they have a very specific sort of point of view about issues affecting women. But I think there is a lot of feminist value to Yona. Like, it's impossible to talk about it in a way that doesn't really reflect that discussion just because of how the characters are treated and the genre space it exists in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we'll move on to a question from Hawk Yona Lover, who, <laughs> you know, has questions about, like, how Yona Don portrays realistic issues while retaining a historical fantasy team. Also discussing, like, how they see a lot of people look down on the series because they think it's a typical shoujo reverse harem, but there's obviously so much more to it. And they feel like they just don't see a lot of their manga talk about real sake or taboo issues while keeping readers engaged in the story, but making it really enjoyable. Yeah. Could I jump in real quick for the Absolutely. back half yeah. of that question? Mm. And again, I'm sorry... Listeners, if it sounds like I'm tearing down your questions, <laughs> like this is not my intent. I love questions. I love discourse. I swear, but I still have to counter. What is your definition of typical shoujo? What is your definition of typical reverse harem? Mm. I understand there are tropes mm. and a lot of what we have maybe seen, at least in the West, that has made, been made popular. Sometimes maybe isn't the whole depth of the genre. But again, it's like what 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 do you mean by that? Because mm-hmm. I would argue, I mean, even Kami-sama Kiss has a whole scene that's basically deals with, like, a sexual assault. Like, I, if for, I mean, for many of the, many different series faults, there's still something they'll do stunningly well. And so I frequently question when someone says, like, a typical shoujo, like, also because shoujo, that's a demographic and tells mm-hmm. everything. Like, obviously... A slice of life high school romance is for a very different audience than Yona. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can like both, but that's, they're not trying to achieve the same things. So while I would agree that there's a lot that Yona does that does collectively set it apart, that doesn't mean that necessarily it is. I often, when I recommend Yona, it's one of my all-time favorite mangas ever, but I always want to emphasize to people, like, I'm not trying to sell it as the not-like-other-shoujos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. I, I, don't, I don't want it to get that treatment because that does a disservice to it, and it does a disservice to shoujo in general and its origins and Hana mm-hmm. to Yume magazine. Like, it's... Yeah. It, so that's that's my biggest yeah. counter with it. Yeah, where it's I'm a good like, manga that, like, oh, it's shoujo as well. Like, There is so much it does correct, and I think it is more all of the things we have seen historically in different shoujos and reverse harms and things that we like, I think Yona managed to combine a lot of that all into one series, so it stands out a lot more. But mm-hmm. I feel like stuff came before it. Like, Yeah. 
it's yeah. not it's amazing but it's not this mythical once in a lifetime series mm-hmm. yeah yeah yes. there are other historical fantasy shoujo like before yona like mm-hmm. basura like mm-hmm. red river <laughs> you know yeah, I, I would say that honestly yona it's less that yona is a typical shoujo and more that it is a throwback to mm-hmm. um, something that used to be quite common in the genre and has become less so. Yeah. Which I love because that was the shoujo of my childhood. That was the sh- kind of shoujo that got me into anime and manga. You know, the, the Basaras, the Twelve Kingdoms, the Red Rivers. I feel like even the reverse harems I used to be a fan of, it was less of the, all these guys are literally day from day one fighting over the same girl and more mm-hmm. focused on the group dynamic and friendship. Mm-hmm. And then all these guys mm-hmm. cluelessly realize, oh, wait, I think I'm into her by like the back <laughs> yeah. half of the yeah. series. Yeah, but yeah. then yeah. like half the time, there's always just the, like the one guy. Who the is, main couple. Mm-hmm. From the very beginning. Yeah. Like who it's going to be. There's never a, question is not like it's right you're reading fushigi yugi is like oh i'm team tamahome i'm team hotohori it's like no it was always going to be tamahome tamahome mm, from, yeah, from yeah. the very beginning it was always going to be Tamaki. trash goblin <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it took me a minute <laughs> <laughs> this reaction but uh, i'm sorry Read fushigi yugi listeners read it <laughs> it's really good it really is I need to finish Fushigi Yugi immediately. Maybe we should do that on the podcast at some point. But um, yeah, I've been wanting to for a while. I, I just no want to say real quick this just this just reminds me of um when we were reading um my love story for the show and how yes. like my love story in particular I feel like is a victim of like oh it's not like other shojo because it <laughs> it stars a big burly dude who kind of right. looks like Google mm-hmm. thirteen or whatever you know. And how many it's times so are you going to say it's not like other shoujo before you realize that shoujo is a totally, a perfectly diverse sort of, and it is kind of, it is a, a marketing demographic. It is also yeah. kind of a genre, like, it, let's not get into it. It's, it is a murky <laughs> term. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, yeah I mean, as Olive pointed out, like, even within Hanta Yume, where Yona runs, there's all sorts of different series with all sorts of different types of settings like skip beat and fruits basket and yona are all so different mm-hmm. from each other so there really isn't this idea of what is a typical shoujo like it's mm-hmm. such a kind of dismissive and disingenuous way to look at the media yeah rather than just understand it as its own thing and not say oh this is good because it's better than this other thing mm-hmm. or this really this abstract idea of something that really isn't there Again, it's right. and, and, and this is yeah. I was just gonna say, and I don't think the questioner necessarily is coming from like a no, disingenuous. Yeah, it's just mm-hmm, I. No. Oh, I, I used to talk that way too. It's just yeah, more yeah. of a me now challenging people to mm-hmm. if you think if you hear that line run through your head, kind of just challenge yourself. Why? Why do you think that? Right. Yeah. Just interrogate the line of thought. Yeah, yeah. and and I would say to the to this question asker. Go back and read some older shoujo. Yes. Read mm-hmm. Basara. Read Red River. Read Fushigi Yugi. You know, it, read Kaze Hikaru. Yeah. Uh, I want to. I mean, That's we have to wait to 14 more years for it to finish, but I'll die before it goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like, don't remind me. 
Oh. Don't just read the stuff that's coming out and go, I wish there was more fantasy adventure because it is out there. Mm-hmm. It's just, it is not a, a genre that has been popular recently, much, much to my frustration. Um, mm-hmm. so like I said, I do know where you are coming from, but you just, and you know, you can take this as recommendations, all of these series that I've mentioned. But it is speculative shoujo has been part of the genre since the very, very beginning, since the the year 47 group, you know, to Terra and stuff like that. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Please save my uh, earth. Yeah. It's my, been my around DVDs forever. <laughs> and so, yeah, there is there is no such thing as typical shoujo. There are trends within the publications. But you just need to reach back a little further and maybe look. also hopefully look to the future. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Story of Sai and Koku, there's another one. Yeah, that's another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think this answers that question very well. So we'll move on to the final two questions, which address like questions about the conflict between the role of gods and humans in the story. And the relationship between them. And we've got the first uh, one of these from Zeno the Crow, who asks about, you know, what our thoughts are on the dragon's relationships to each other and Yona and how much free will they have. Which is something we discussed in uh, the previous podcast. But I think, in general, like, we see that there is a, like, immediate kind of attraction to Yona on the dragon's part. Like, they, there is a feeling that was within them that I think relates to their like ancestral inheritance of like the will of the, the dragon warriors however the relationships they form in yona are completely separate from that and they are loyal to her and went over by her because of the strength of her own character as mm-hmm. a leader and friend and that is what how, the foundation of the relationships with him and we saw that best with the conflict of like jeha not wanting to respond with to these like feelings that Yona inspired him when he first met her and it's like no I don't want I don't care about this destiny or whatever like being loyal to the Crimson Dragon King like I want to do my own thing but he ultimately goes along with Yona because he grows to really respect her and really Mm -hmm. believe in her and yeah so I think that the dragons have a lot of free will I don't think they're just like bound to Yona because of again this inheritance of the will of the dragon warriors Mm-hmm. Yeah, if anything, like that might have been like the catalyst for their like initial impressions. But after like all the time that they spent together, they clearly they're still there by their own choice because they want to continue like traveling together and like be there for her in like in in a capacity that they they realize that uh she could be there for them as well because um she is Yona as like a person throughout the story as it goes she has been like there for people and like supported others after like she when she was at like her lowest low she was basically people did the same for her and it's like almost like her returning the favor and like that magnanimity that comes from her in her position is something that they recognize and they want to they want to pay that forward mm-hmm. any thoughts from you guys all of Caitlin on the relationship between Yona and the dragons you know, actually, I um maybe this is just one of those things where because I'm not caught up, I don't know what happens past like volume eighteen or so. But like, I kind of thought when like when Jayhaw first makes his appearance in his first arc or whatever, and he 
and he has that sort of a uh, conflict with uh, with Gija, and he's like, oh, well, you're just, I don't remember how the conversation goes, but basically, like, he brings up, like, oh, you're only falling around Yona because of your ancestry, and that kind of, mm-hmm. like, that kind of, like, gives him, gives Gija, like, a moment of doubt. I kind of thought we were gonna, like, explore that a little further, and I don't know if, like, that comes back up in the story, but I don't know, that, that just, that just felt like, it felt like a setup for, like, a bigger inner conflict for Gija that I don't know is ever gonna, like, be brought back up again, or if it's just not relevant, or, I don't know. It just seemed yeah. interesting to me. I mean, yeah. I think at this point in the story, like, no one really feels like, oh, they're just obligated to follow Yona. I think they're all there by choice. Yeah. And I feel like that was kind of resolved within that own arc. It's like, Okay. He thought about it for a moment, maybe. Like he was taking, he was given a pause, but then he was like, "No, nah, yeah. no, I'm, I'm here with you, and I guess I want to be and stuff like that." Okay, yeah, yeah uh, fair. Caitlin, you you can go first too because I feel like I keep talking over you this time around, so I feel bad. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, <laughs> I'm a little bit zoned out today. Uh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Um, I feel like Yona's relationship with the dragons has evolved enough that especially with jeha the sort of the question of free will versus destiny and sort of feeling like he didn't really have any choice but to follow this young girl when he wanted to be free and sort of that tension for him i think that was was very interesting i'm not sure if it's really been fully realized but their relationship has evolved enough that mm-hmm. they do genuinely see her as a leader and not just someone that they're destined and obligated to follow because she she is a leader at this point mm-hmm. and yeah no uh, i don't have a lot of like really strong thoughts on this one yeah i, I just I think-, think the story has sort of naturally evolved to this point yeah, I think I'm of the same where we had Jeha and we still see glimpses of him reconciling a lot of his emotions around the whole situation, partly due to his trauma uh, surrounding being mm-hmm. a dragon. Gija, I mean, it touches on a little bit. I think it's kind of touched on more in like a little side story, but I don't remember how far into the series it is. There's a little side story at the end of one of the volumes where Gija's obvious crush slash confused feelings towards yona get accelerated a little more to the forefront Mm. and then you are reminded that you know he probably does have feelings for her but he is so married to the idea because of how he was raised that she is the princess the next crimson dragon king like he cannot keep that distance and so it's a weird balance that i think he's gonna grow past and still is but if anything that might be just something that is a boundary for him that he may never cross and we may never see but otherwise yeah i i mean we already Zeno admitted when we met him day one that he waited to watch and decide for himself if he wanted to hang out and follow mm-hmm. yona so yeah. i think the it, it is definitely a point of a topic and kind of a subplot in a story that I would like to see delved into a little bit more just right at least before the series ends but I don't know if we will get it mm-hmm. because I would argue that through just all of the chaos and events that have naturally brought them closer as a found family it might be a moot subject for them now 
versus yeah. how it was a lot more prominent when they were all first meeting each other and jokingly flirting and stuff and less of the intimate found family that they are now. Yeah. It would be interesting if there was like a moment towards in the story where there's some sort of breaking of the bond between Yona and the dragons, like akin to Fruits Basket at the end of Fruits Basket, like the inheritance of the will of the the dragon gods kind of breaks somehow. And then, you know, they're still there, but they don't have the the powers. They don't have that connection to Yona they have anymore. And you then just... like them navigate like what that means for them after that. I swear if you just spoke that into existence in the future, I'm going to be so (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, we'll see how it pans out. (laughs) (laughs) I had never considered that, and now I'm even more stressed. (laughs) But no, I agree. That would be very interesting to see how things shift, or if they Mm. shift. Yeah, yeah. Definitely something that's still open for the series to explore further Mm -hmm. uh, as it continues but that brings us to our last question from uh yeah cool who also wants us to chime in on the the gods versus human debate uh you know especially with you know different depictions of like uh religious fervor like we have characters like gobi um we see how the gods were once condemned and you know the cruel existences and how their whole purpose in life is already decided for them but then there are People who like, you know, are against the idea of this gods of this of this legend. Like Yuan murdered all the priests, and Xuan dislikes the idea of the Crimson Dragon King and wants to make accomplishments as a regular human rather than rely on this prophecy and stuff like that. So, I guess just our final thoughts on the relationship between, you know, the concept of like, do we rely how? Do we think the series explores this idea of like characters like relying on believing in divine power as a tool to resolve conflict, and then characters who are steadfastly no, we reject this, and we just want to independently solve these problems? I think um it, it's it's cool how the series basically acknowledges like yeah, humanity is messy, and um mm-hmm. a lot of the time uh like. We make our own messes, and we also have to clean them up. So Suwon's mm. way of like cleaning up the mess of like just relying on like the the legends of old to like kind of like steer the direction that the country is heading in is like no, like I I see the the real threats that are happening like right now, uh, the immediate like what's what is immediately affecting my country, and mm. I want to protect my people from that immediate threat, and. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to like adherence to like any kind of like religious beliefs or something, he's he's not gonna like follow them if it means abandoning his people, which is basically right. what Ill did. And Ill yeah, was exactly. basically like he he was like for uh for going the people for the sake of what he the believed prophecy. in. Yeah. yeah, the prophecy. And so like like it, it's interesting. Like basically, it, it's a story of like the next generation kind of like like picking up the pieces and trying to like fix and like put back together what the previous generation kind of just messed up mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. no yeah king ill's frosty was very much you know hey yona i mean we get this implies through what 
the volumes have come out, but I get the sense that he was he was aware, like, hey, Yona is reincarnated the Crimson Dragon King. Like, she is the one prophesized who's going to, like, make the Koka Kingdom prosper again, so I am just going to wait and not do anything until that happens, essentially. Right. And then Suwan was told this and was made aware of this and was like, no, the people are suffering now. We exactly. need to do something to help them now. And I think he grew resentment for the, you know, prophecy and the idea of the Dragon War. It's because of, like, just this idea of relying on divine power rather than taking action using your own power to make things better. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's an interesting point of conflict. And I do think it's interesting the different ways we see, like, this idea of divinity uh, exploited or, like, over overly worshipped. In terms of, like, we see characters like Gobi using, like, the idea of, like, divine prophecy as an excuse to further their own agendas. And then we see, like, you know, common people, like, uh, in the recent volumes, like, really uh, fanatically, like, fawn over the the dragon warriors and stuff. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, and at the, at also, like, Suwon is, like, very rational uh, when it comes to, like, how he's handling like everything, like uh, like going back to what I said, like back in the Awa arc where where he first confronted Yona, he's like, "There's a time, like I, I know you want revenge or whatever, but like now is not the time." And um, he doesn't at all like put any blame or like any kind of like he doesn't it doesn't seem to hold any ill will toward Yona herself because she's basically like a victim of the circumstances. Like she's like, "Oh, you are the child of prophecy, but it's not like you asked to be." It's not like you purposely chose to do so, and like while your your father may have made you to be the reason to like mess up the country, like you yourself had no real fault in that. So whatever you want to do, like I completely respect it. Just let me do this, because I'm trying to fix what's happening right now. Mm. Like I I find that kind of uh, a kind of like uh like interaction like kind of like motivation uh, that he has it's interesting because it also it adds to the moral complexity of of his character because like yeah again he's acknowledging like he's not doing like the most noble of things even though like in in on paper yeah he is like he's trying to save the country he's trying to save the 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 people as well but uh he's not doing it through the most like honorable of means uh which also kind of goes back to like what we learned about his father, that his father was also like like a violent person. Uh, yeah, he was basically like a war, a, like a war Yeah, yeah. So like it, it, it's interesting because you can also read that as like oh the, the son inheriting yeah. the, the sense of the father or whatever. But I mean, also, different perspectives of the end justifies the means right. in terms of what is going to be the long term future of the kingdom. Oh man, mm-hmm. yeah. so much of this is like covered in volume 31 and, and that's why I'm being so quiet <laughs> I know because, like, it's all like if, if they put so much of this on the table and I don't oh, want yeah. uh, I I'm trying not to say more because like I, I'm reading the magazine too so I'm, I'm trying to like hold oh, back but also like mm. there's there's a lot of meat here like yeah. there's yeah. a lot there's a lot yeah all I'll say is I like that the series doesn't necessarily treat one or the other as bad and good it kind of shows the results of the extreme of each and then the middle Mm -hmm. ground and like as much as you want to push back against certain elements of the faith like the fact of the matter is like 
we wouldn't have the story we have and Yona wouldn't have probably survived if she and Hack hadn't gone out to find allies based off of an old legend. So I think it, again, without spoiling there, you're seeing kind of the layers of what is, I don't want to say, I guess, ethical faith. Like what is having faith in spirituality for oneself? And then what is this? forcing and then vice versa Mm. this rejection of that and then forcing the rejection onto other people and that's all i can say oh yeah (laughs) it's like it's like a pebble like like causing like a landslide of just like like events happening it's just (laughs) well it just it just sounds like we're gonna have to come back and talk about yona at the dawn again in the future huh oh twist my arm yeah colton maybe you can catch up this time yeah, maybe, yeah. yeah, maybe I'll catch I mean, up this time. A, yeah, you had a month, but now, uh, yeah, in a few month. more years. <laughs> Literally, maybe, every maybe single t- all this cracked out to be. I'm dead serious. You mentioned Yona of the Dawn or Snow White with the red hair, and I am the Big Bird gift kicking down the door. Did someone say emotional consent? Oh my gosh! I you know, yeah, we'll definitely get you on for Snow White and red hair. That's what <gasps> I wanted to do on the show for a while too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. no, don't get me on that one because I'm a hater. Uh, oh, no, really? we can get you on for Fashiki Yugi or Red Verbasa. You know, a lot of we'd love to have you guys on again to talk oh, about Caitlin, all sorts of you series. You ruined me with that, but it's okay. I respect it. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you guys so much. Uh, thank everyone over on the Reddit community for Yona for sending these great questions. We got you know some great mm-hmm. conversation out of them, and I want to thank you guys for coming on to talk Yona with us once again. These have been a fantastic past few podcasts. Yeah, it was a blast. It was Thank so you for much inviting fun. me. Lots of fun. I yeah. say invite, but I was basically <laughs> the one who told Loman Colton like two or three years ago, like, "Hey, if you're gonna record about Yona, you gotta hit me up." Absolutely, and I finally made good on it. Yeah, I just, I just pulled it into existence. Hey, hey, I respect the work put in to get yourself out there about a, being Absolutely. a Yona expert. Do it. <laughs> I can't judge that. I accidentally just did that with Snow White with the red hair. <laughs> and you know what? It's going to twist our arms to have you guys, you wonderful people, on again on our podcast. Yeah. I, I guess Don't we'll be do shy that. if you like want have something you really want to talk about. Hit us up in big capital text and say, "I want to be on to talk about this series." You know, we're we'll uh, more than happy to have you on. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, your resume is at gmail.com. <laughs> there you go. Get Caitlin on for a Fushigi Yugi. That's all I'll say. I've got a lot hey, to say about to. Fushigi Yugi. I've said it on several podcasts, and I'll say it again. Do it! <laughs> yeah, well, I'll let you do it. Yeah, that'll be a fun one to do. But yeah. Would be nice to actually finish that series. I don't. I think I got like. I don't even remember how much of it I read, but I like read a lot of it when I was in high school. And then I think yeah. my friend just stopped lending me volumes for whatever reason. I just just never finished it. Yeah, it's, well, well, the main have an series also has what feels like an ending, and then it you're like, oh wait, no, it's not over. Uh, mm-hmm. So <laughs> there, that happened yeah. to me. <laughs> I mean, we could do a whole Fushigi Yugi month to cover it. <laughs> so we'll have to figure out the logistics of that. But yeah, 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 until the next time, we can have y'all again to talk about a lot of awesome series. Uh, let's let folks know where they can find you and continue checking out all your great work and. Well, we'll start with you, Keith. And where can people find you on the internet? Me? Mm-hmm. You can find me on, uh, mostly on AnimeFeminist.com. Some of my reviews on AnimeNewsNetwork.com. 
I just had one come out today as of this recording about the villainous Reloaded blowing away ooh, bad ends ooh. with modern oh, the weapons. novel or the, the manga? The light novel, and it was ooh. a scathing review. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Not a good book. I really gotta check that out. <laughs> <It really> was- <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. So you can read some of my discussion of shoujo, particularly about abusive relationships in shoujo manga on my dormant, not defunct, but dormant personal website, uh, heroinproblem.com, heroin with an E. Mm-hmm. I was nice. going to say. Oh my god, Cole. <laughs> yeah, Olive, do you want to... Yeah, I'll jump in. Yeah, I... Sorry, I'm also spacing out all of a sudden. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was my cue and I just sat in silence. Uh, no, I, you can find me. <laughs> you can find me at all of the manga, A L L O F, the manga, at Twitter, where I'm mostly shit posting. And then sometimes I link the things I write. I predominantly write for But Why Though a Geek Community. I have also contributed for Anime Feminist. So you can catch a lot of my pieces there if you also are interested a couple weeks ago actually in between our first recording for this podcast and then now uh we had our our fourth let's talk panel series and i moderated that and it was all about manga localization yeah that was fantastic yeah it was it went it was an awesome discussion and it Mm. was the video on demand is available on our twitch and our youtube channel but why though pc so go ahead and check that out and no contrary to how i sometimes have let on in twitter i am not a talking bulbasaur i just (laughs) have the personality of ash i'm not plot twist i just have the personality (laughs) of ash's bulbasaur (laughs) so yeah that's where you can be thank you yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> all right and that's where you can find me awesome and yeah definitely check that localized conversation that was a really good one and uh yeah i'm really appreciating the but why those streams you guys have been doing as of late they've all been really good yeah, but, they're, yeah. they're really kicking it into high gear with this series it's awesome mm-hmm. and yeah marion where can folks find you and all the things you do People can find me on uh, Twitter at microwavy, the E before the V. Um, I have a, a card in my description with all the other projects I'm on. I co-host a bunch of other podcasts like uh, the Good Friends Anime Club, the Haikyuu Podcast, which is on hiatus until we get more Haikyuu, you know, like anime or maybe light novels license. Hello, Viz, if you're listening, please. Uh, besides that, also, uh, I co-host the Demon Slayer Podcast at Slayer Podcast, Shaman King Podcast. We just recorded... Uh, episode for uh the batch of episodes that came out on netflix in in north america didn't you pop in at the end of that one like at the very end because like i got i had work so i got home from work like at four and they were gonna record like at six so Mm -hmm. i was like you know what i'll just i'll just i'll just watch see how much i get through and then i actually like i was like damn this is really good i might just binge uh, as much as i can and then just like i'll hop in at the end to just do a little quarter like hey and uh it was it was well, crazy. I, I, saw, I saw you in the chat yesterday you're like you know i think i'm just gonna keep watching this fuck the podcast and yeah. it's like yeah do it <laughs> i was popping off i was like holy shit they played the first opening from the from the 2000 series ah! and i was like i was popping off holy shit 
yeah, watch Shaman <laughs> King on Netflix. It's it was fun. Like <laughs> the art is kind of jank, but everything else, like, hey, hey, come on, it's just as charming as like a like a normal two thousand series. <laughs> uh but yeah, uh Shaman King Podcast. Check that out. I also write uh reviews and editorials for places like Tsunami Faithful or tsunamifaithful.com. The weekly Shonen Sunday blog at wsstalkback.blogspot.com. And I'm going to borrow Caitlin's word. I also have a dormant blog. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's uh, heavensdoorknob.wordpress.com. I've been on a bit of a, like a, a writing hiatus in general just because I've been super busy and like just burnt out on writing because, yeah, I, I work in a pharmacy. And like, <sighs> hey, if there. you haven't been vaccinated, get vaccinated, please. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to yes. that, but without the please. Get vaccinated. Yes, no. Hard and fatic, do it. We're not asking, we're no. telling you. <laughs> yes, literally, if all of my plans for the next year get cancelled again, not to make it about me, but I will find you. I don't know how, but I'll do it. <laughs> oh my there gosh. you go. Olive will, yeah. Olive will give you a deck glare fiercer than Yona. Olive oh, will yeah. gather God. up her own personal four dragons and hunt you down across the world. <laughs> I will add to her spirit bomb. The dragons of my non-existent social life! I just got employed again, y'all. Please don't do this to me. Oh my god. Oh, no. Yes. Congratulations. Thank yeah, you. Congrats. That's awesome. A highlight was a kid Naruto running at my work. Just Naruto ran across the tennis. I'm a tennis instructor. God, I would have paid to see that. Yeah, I'm a tennis coach, and this like eight year old at the summer camp, Naruto runs across like three courts, and I'm like, cool, great. It's aerodynamic. That's fucking good. Oh, <laughs> was he successful like uh, getting where he to be the hit the ball in the right um, place, well or? it wasn't during a uh, drill it was mm. just um oh we're picking up tennis balls let's pick them up as fast oh. as we can so he picked up like a couple in each hand and then just naruto run <laughs> like they were his shuriken <laughs> that's adorable <laughs> oh, that's, that's so funny cute. i love that oh yeah no truly an icon <laughs> no for sure Marion, was there anything else you wanted to play? I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's oh, fine. No, don't worry about it. That was great. Nah, like I said, like I, I've been on a writing hiatus, but I plugged this last time. I will plug it again. Go read my my Toonami Faithful tribute to Kentaro Mura from for Berserk. So that's Absolutely. like that's the one thing that like I wrote this year that I'm like this is my magnum opus. Yeah, so. it's a beautiful tribute. Like mm-hmm. props and kudos once again for that, Marion. Thank you. Yeah. But yeah, thank you guys so much once again for joining us. This is Yona, not once, but twice. And hopefully, you know, we could talk about it even again in the future. But until the next time, I think that, you know, it's sun is setting. So until dawn rises once again, <laughs> I think it's time for us to head off and venture out into the world until it's time for us to, as prophecy as destiny foretells, reconvene and meet once again. Uh, so I think it's time for us to narrate to run out of here. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
Thanks once again to Caitlin, Marion, and Olive for joining us for another Yuna Podcasting Extravaganza. It was a lot of fun to reconvene our happy angry bunch together after our brief separation and explore the world of Yona even more closely thanks to our listeners and Yona fans' wonderful questions. And as always, we highly recommend Argus's great works on all of the creative and professional projects, many of which we shouted out in our last episode and will once again link in the show notes for this one. That said, just as we broaden the scope of our Yona discussion in this episode, I also want to use our shoutouts on this episode to shine a spotlight on the work of other great Yona fans discussing the series. Chief among them is the dedicated Yona of the Dom Pockets, The Yona Pod, a podcast exploring the Yona manga a few chapters and episodes at a time. Hosted by Alex, a long time and up to date reader of the manga, and Evan, a newbie to the series, reading and watching it for the first time. It's been fun to listen to their thoughts as they've been going through the series from the beginning and seeing how Evan's expectations have either been met or surprised as they've gone along. And I'm excited to listen to their coverage of the Water Tribe arc, which is Alex's favorite in the series and the first that made her cry when she originally read it. And I certainly appreciate her thoughts on it as a fellow fan of Riri. For dedicated coverage and thoughts on Yona, the Yona Pod is the Yona Spot for Apostles of the Happy Hungry Bunch. I also highly recommend the Read Right to Left podcast coverage of Yona, where G and Ray did a great job exploring all the principal characters and their dynamics and relationships with each other and what makes the series so compelling. I'm a big fan of G and Ray's individual channels and their podcast and their Yona discussion was another great convo on the series from fellow passionate fans who really go into all the relationships, including all the ships, if you know what I'm saying. And one of the questions that spurred on that convo on that podcast actually comes from the person I'm shouting out next, Aisha Mama Loves Manga. She started reading Yona last year and did a series of live streams on her channel as she went through it. And it was really fun to listen to Aisha's evolving thoughts on the series as she went along and what she latched onto and would get excited for over. And while she didn't stream all her thoughts on every volume she read, the ones she did stream were really fantastic listens and watches, and they make great companion pieces to listen to if you're revisiting Yona or want to hear a fresh newbie's perspective as it evolves as they continue reading on the series. You know, a nice evolving take to just watch unfold from someone getting into it for the first time. I also want to recommend a video on Yona from another YouTuber, Rosie Vision, which she made to shed a spotlight on the anime, which she feels is underrated, especially nowadays, considering the anime, as she points out, is almost 10 years old, which, man, that makes me feel old. But hey, Rosie gives her thoughts on the premise and goes through all the characters and their stories and their roles in the story in depth and to each other in depth and gives some great thoughts on what she feels are the strengths of Yona's storytelling as well as bringing up some of its weaknesses in the anime version, mainly the pacing of the anime. And it's great to see a more recent video spotlighting you on anime. And while Rosie Vision specializes primarily in Wings Club content, I really do hope to see more videos from them spotlighting more underrated JoJo series. Though the Wings Club content is also really great and highly recommended as well. 
My final Yona-specific shout-out is a YouTube channel dedicated to Yona fandom, the Happy Polly Bunch, which, by the way, is just a great channel group name for a Yona fan group, but their channel creates video accompaniments to the Yona audio dramas that have been produced over the years, matching the radio play with manga panels and subtitle translations corresponding to the story. So if you've been itching for something to fill the lack of a Yona anime adaptation of the later story arcs like the Say arc, or other select chapters and stories, or just a way to appreciate listening to the audio dramas you don't know Japanese, then this channel will really put the happy in your bunch. Though the poly part is going to be all up to you to spread the love of Yona around. And I also want to spread the love around to some additional shoutouts related to topics we discussed in our conversation, starting with a few videos that spotlight the diversity of shoujo manga and its genres. Colleen, who I'd previously shouted out for their Making the Shonen Jump to Shoujo videos, recently started up a YouTube channel called Colleen's Manga Rex to do more long-form videos on shoujo manga as a culture, and their channel recently gained a lot of attention thanks to their fantastically researched and analyzed The Decline of Shoujo Anime video, where they took a look at the contrast in the amount of shoujo anime being produced these days, even compared to just a few years ago, addressing and debunking common assumptions about why that's the case, and bemoaning the lack of attention on shoujo series from producers, even though there are a lot of shoujo manga that sell much more than their comparable shonen counterparts, which are getting anime anyway, and the fact that so many of the shoujo series that do get made, like the recent Rose King series, are not given the production values they deserve. Colleen does a great job outlining a timeline, citing sources, and giving several examples in exploring how shoujo anime has been an unserved market in recent years, despite the demand that's there. And I think their video touches upon a problem that we discussed on the show, that many newer fans simply aren't being exposed to the actual variety of shoujo stories out there because of a lack of anime and localized titles being given exposure. Colleen's video covering the diversity of shoujo manga, profiling several different manga magazines and spotlighting many of their iconic series and describing each magazine's ethos and style of content, also does a great job highlighting the variety of shoujo manga out there and that it's not a monolithic culture. We actually made a podcast profiling shoujo manga magazines on our Patreon that's similar to Colleen's video and intent that I, of course, also highly recommend checking out. But Colleen is much more well-read in shoujo and does a great job of precisely and succinctly encapsulating the essence of the shoujo magazines they cover and what makes them so special. Colleen also recently published a video that explores the essence of what makes a shoujo manga going beyond simply where a series is published, and identifying shoujo as having three really prominent distinguishing characteristics in their view, which includes the iconic, extremely detailed glassy eyes of shoujo heroines, shoujo paneling layouts emphasizing interconnecting and overlapping panels, and the general difference in emphasis on shoujo manga on exploring relationships foremost, and placing more attention on the development of female characters. While I don't necessarily find all their points, hard and fast rules in terms of what a shoujo or shonen series can be like, 
For instance, off the top of my head, Banana Fish, I think, breaks all of their rules that they outlined. And that's published in Hana to Yume. But I do think, overall, their analysis is really thoughtful and supported with many strong examples and contrasts, and overall is just very well articulated to make the point that the distinction of shoujo and identifying what shoujo is is important because, yes, while demographic labels shouldn't be a barrier to enjoying a series or an inherent mark of their quality, the culture and the label of shoujo has created and reflects an important community and fandom for manga made by and for women that is important, means a lot to a lot of people, and it's understanding that. And understanding what makes a series quintessentially shoujo is really necessary. It's important to keep in mind when critically evaluating the strengths and appeal of any particular work made under its umbrella. Colleen's channel is quickly becoming one of my new favorites to follow, and I'm really glad to see a channel that specializes in covering shoujo manga becoming more prominent in the space. And I want to spread the word about it in case you hadn't checked it out yet, especially their broader topic videos that try and dig to the heart of what shoujo is at its core, and is bringing more attention to what's out there and why shoujo manga need more love. Another video showcasing the diversity of shoujo titles by spotlighting one of its unique genres is Erika's video exploring the rise of girl gang series and anime manga, spotlighting in particular the three shoujo titles that define the genre and the tropes and culture associated with it, namely Sukabon Deka, aka the OG yo-yo spinning bozokosu badass girl detective series, as well as Hano Asuka Gumi and Yajikita Gakuen Dochuki. Erika explores the history of all three of these franchises and various media associated with them, highlighting some of their most endearingly crazy and fun aspects, while complementing these profiles with a history of real-life bozozoku girl gang groups and the Japanese counterculture of the time that inspired them. I'm a big fan of Tsukuban Deka from the movies and the Lumpen Girl characters in anime manga in general, and Erika does a great job exploring how these iconic series influenced the many that came after with, and with particular homages highlighted between Tsukuban Deka and Kill a Kill, among other examples of influence. And Erika, of course, also puts these series through the lens of their Yuri elements, both coded and explicit, tying into the release of a new Delinquent Girl-focused Yuri manga title, Catch These Hands, which I'm really excited to read. And I always enjoy and love Erica's videos as one of the history of a genre of subculture. And her video on Girl Gang says, maybe you want to go see and read Sukaban Deka, Hanano Asigagumi. They're all a Girl Gang series. I want to see these manga licensed and localized more than ever now. The next video I want to shout out is an entirely shoujo-specific, though later on when we get to articles, I'll have more articles that are specifically talking about shoujo manga and profiling and highlighting shoujo manga. But to continue on to discussing more videos I want to spotlight, I really wanted to spotlight this video for Weekly Manga Recap, which, again, isn't shoujo-specific, but involves many couples from shoujo series that are involved and featured in this fun guessing game played by the hosts of WMR as they try to identify the names of lead couples in several of the romance manga they've read over the years. And it is just a fun guessing game that fans of romance manga or just romance in manga will have a lot of fun watching while trying to play along with it to see how many 
they can identify and get right themselves. I surely had a lot of fun trying to see how many I could get right myself, and though my batting average wasn't that great, I still recognized enough to be invested and frustrated when the host could recognize some of my faves. But yeah, turning away from videos now, turning back to shoujo manga, I really enjoyed reading a post from the Tumblr blog, the tomato box identifying and making comparisons between Dune and classic shoujo manga with a historical or sci-fi vibe, namely the works of Ryoko Ikeda, Motohagyo, and Keiko Takamiya. The author does a great job highlighting the many similar vibes Dune has to classic shoujo titles or similar yoke, from the gender ambiguity and queer coding in the gender play of Paul as a character caught between the masculine world of his father and the feminine world of his mother, and that being similar to a lot of shoujo leads, as well as in how the Kwisatz Hederach's existence manifests the duality of femininity both feared and revered, an economy similar to the tension also in many classic shoujo series between gender essentialist assumptions and transgressive queer elements. They also explore how various visual elements share a similar inclination to appropriating the idea of history rather than actual studies of history through an elegant and abstract metaphorical coding imagery that attempts to elevate mood and heighten emotions rather than depict grounded settings and intensify those emotions through the sense of distance placed between the characters in the world around him, particularly in comparing Paul's vision with many of Motoko Hagios, particularly in the comparison particularly in the comparison between Paul's visions and many of Motohagyo's spreads. They then highlight the fact that Dune was beloved by an, an influence on several shoujo creators and fan communities, highlighting how Keiko Takamiya was influenced by Dune. The fans compared Dune with Nausicaa, not shoujo, but still an influence on a very popular series at the time. And a lot of other interesting anecdotes are also presented about how Dune intersected with children female-driven sci-fi works and fan communities in Japan. And I thought this was a really interesting and insightful, thoughtful piece comparing Dune with the realm of shoujo and Japanese sci-fi, which I think is not only interesting reading, but another piece that exemplifies the variety of speculative shoujo fiction manga out there. Next, I want to shout out our guest Caitlin's recent review on My Brain is Different, Stories of ADHD and Other Developmental Disorders. Caitlin relates her personal experience being diagnosed with ADHD and how she found the book's heavy depictions of many people's different personal stories coping with it. A very emotional read, but incredibly valuable thanks to its hopeful messages and me stories of neurodivergent people telling their own stories in their own words, ordinary and grounded, which will be all the more relatable and encouraging for neurodivergent readers. I've not been formally diagnosed with ADHD, but I have struggled with its symptoms all my life. So I've really been looking forward to reading this book. And Caitlin's review has me excited all the more knowing how deftly and topfully and poignantly it explores the topic. And the next piece I want to spotlight is a piece from a different Caitlin, Caitlin Donovan, and their article on Anifem that explores the agency of non-combatant civilian women in My Hero Academia versus Fullmetal Alchemist. Mainly bemoaning how Deku's mother falls to the wayside and importance of prominence in MHA, and highlighting how Winry is a much better example of how to involve a non-combatant female character in a story that gets her agency, a character arc, 
and a role that matters beyond just how she relates to the male protagonist, which is rare to see in Battleship manga, and I think the article reflects well upon our own conversations about how the strength of a female character shouldn't be defined just by how physically strong or how bad she is, but by how much agency she has in the story and the strength of her character as demonstrated in her resolve, taking control of her life and doing everything that she can do, and also that non-combatant female characters shouldn't have their emotional support roles in a story taken for granted, and they should be shown given emotional support in turn and communicated with honestly rather than being lied to or outright gaslit in the name of protecting them. Another great piece recently published on NFM comes from friend of the show and children tell host Ashley McDonald, and she wrote a really great personal article about how shoujo manga helped her grow out of a lot of internalized misogyny she had, exploring how she had accepted preconceived dismissive notions of shoujo manga's broadly heteronormative romances with weak heroines and dynamic male reads, and coming from a mindset where she'd always gravitated towards socially masculinized interests and spaces and found the rules and dynamics in those spaces easier to understand and thus for a long time consume more shonen than shoujo. She goes into how she started shoujo and tell from a place of realizing shoujo was under-discussed compared to shonen series, but still carried those sexist conceptions of shoujo as romances, placing more emphasis on male characters, and gravitating towards female protagonists who have more masculine interests at the start of her journey with the podcast, and her piece is about her long journey over the past couple of years and coming to recognize and learn those biases through thoughtful conversations about many different shoujo series on her podcast, which in turn helped her better understand herself as a woman who wanted to be accepted in male spaces, not just through aggressiveness, but through kindness, like so many shoujo heroines are, and in Shoujo, she finds those roles in which different genders can work together harmoniously and respectfully that she once dismissed as possibility in real life. And the ultimate message of her piece, as well as her podcast, and in Colleen's aforementioned channel videos, is to read more Shoujo manga with an open heart and mind. Because if you do so, you may very well find stories that will capture your heart and blow your mind. And that's a message I hope we can help communicate and continue to espouse on our show more frequently and prominently as well. And my last community shout-out is AnyFan's latest resources page for reproductive rights, revamped from their previous abortion resources page to include even more care networks, activist movements, and educational resources to help people who need abortions get the information they need to have a safe abortion and protect themselves from anti-abortion persecution. It is more important than ever to know your abortion rights and support organizations fighting for those rights, and the resources NFM has collected are valuable tools to arm yourself in that fight and to protect yourself and your loved ones. That does it for my community shoutouts I wanted to share on this episode, and we certainly hope we've done our part in these past few episodes of shared a good word about Yona and a bunch of things that it does that makes us happy and hungry to read more. And thankfully there is more still being published, and that means much more for us to discuss and gush over in more podcasts down the line. And we will be very excited to reconvene our 
Happy Hungry Bunch, our own Dragon Warriors Neon fandom, again to talk about the series in the future. But for now, we'll let Dawn turn to dusk as we leave the Legend of Yona behind for now and wander on outside of its kingdom of riches and into the wrap-up of our show. We hope that you enjoyed our conversation on the series, and we hope that it has encouraged you to check out the series if you hadn't yet, or was great just musing about the story and character so far if you are a longtime fan, and giving you maybe even a new perspective on how to think of it. You know, that'd be really nice. It's just really nice to talk with, you know, just such big Yona fans just about, like, what we think about the story, where we think it's going. And I had a lot of fun with it. But, you know, we love doing that on this show, and we've been doing that for all the series we cover. We've been putting in that level of conversation, that level of thought with our guests who are fellow passionate fans of the material we're covering. And we've been doing that for nearly 200 episodes now. That's right, we are coming up on our 200 episode. And next week, we will once again be dedicating an episode talking about a series that, you know, is actually quite recent, but one that I think touches upon a lot of things we love about the world and medium of manga with friends of ours that we have so closely joined ties to through the run of the show. Our closest friends and collaborators will be joining us to discuss Tatsuki Fujimoto's Goodbye Airy. That's right, we're talking about his recent new one-volume one-shot with our good friends Maxi Bernard of Friendship After Victory, Sakaki from the Weekly Shigakukan Edition Talkback Blog, and Wee Lord, who basically is the person running the MangaRacks.com site at this point, in addition to hosting a robust podcast network that includes the Demon Slayer podcast, Saturday Night Shocking and Oversoul, a Shaman King podcast. Of course, we had to celebrate our 200 episode by once again bringing back, you know, our crew of closest compatriots with us to celebrate it by covering a series that I think so well encapsulates things we love about manga as a medium. So it's going to be great to talk about Fujimoto's latest work with them. It's going to be great to have that be our 200 episode celebration. And we hope that you guys are really enjoying this it. And we thank you for joining us on our journey over these past nearly 200 episodes and listening to and supporting our show. And we hope that our upcoming 200 episode and all the episodes to come will be real good ones you will continue to enjoy. Man, yeah, it's really it's really weird to think that we've done 200 whole episodes of this show. Technically more, because there are all these .5 episodes that we did early <laughs> on the show that, in uh, retrospect, I kind of wish we just had heard <laughs> them. I don't know why. I don't know why we did that. I don't know what was the point. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. But this is our proper 200 labeled episode that is coming up, and it's going to be a good one. Our usual crew mm-hmm. that we assemble for our milestone episodes, our closest friends collaborators, you know, what better way to just celebrate manga as a media medicine industry with the friends that 
who made it on a journey and help us, you know, feel truly ingrained as a part of this community that celebrates this entertainment, this medium, this art form we all love and enjoy so much. Man, yeah, I can't really top any of that. Um, what they said. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very excited for our next episode, and I'm really excited to talk about Goodbye Eric because I, I haven't read it yet. I've been waiting till we could cover it on the show, so I'm excited to see how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. But until we talk about Goodbye Eric on our next episode, I think it's time for us to say goodbye ourselves and head up into our wrap up of where you can find us and our follower stuff until we say hello again. Well, I guess Lum, you can go ahead and go first. Where can the people find you? You can find me at LaMarmiasha on Twitter. It's LaMarmiasha, a variety of places like AnyList, Letterboxd, Animation Revelation. Wherever there is a LaMarmiasha, you can find me there by the name. You can also read my reviews on MyRoots.com. We got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews planned to go out. Look forward to more on there. You can also find on MyRoots.com. The other podcast I do, Lum Squad, the URC Outside Focus podcast I do, with my good friend Andrew A.C. Yoshimura. We talk about the wonderful and wacky world of Unko Hakashi's URC we have a lot of fun going through the manga as released by Viz Media. We're having a lot of fun going through the movies as available on Crunchyroll and on Blu-ray from Discotech. And we are so excited to talk about the upcoming new anime set to premiere later this year. We have a ton of thoughts on how we want to cover that. We have a ton of thoughts and plans of what we want to cover on the show in general. It's such an exciting time to be your Seattle fan. So if you want to journey into this really wonderful world with us then definitely listen to our show which you can find on pretty much every podcast platform you can think of apple Podcasts, Spotify, stitcher and we also cross post episodes of the modern feed and you can follow us on twitter for updates and postings and new episodes at lum underscore squad and also we are on youtube you can look for our youtube channel just type lum squad in the search bar and if you enjoy the illustrations I do for our podcast, the thumbnails I make, and the animations and drawings and illustrations I make in general. You can find that stuff on my Instagram at SodarWorks. Alright, but as for me, I'm Colty. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also, you know, produce and host a lot of my own other podcasts, which you can find links to over my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com where over there you can click on the podcast page and literally, you know, click through everything I've ever done, basically uh, everything I'm currently doing, even, you know, past projects I'm not involved in anymore. Or, uh, you know, I also list a lot of my guest spots, if not all of them that I've done over the past few years of podcasting. So literally, if you're interested in any anything else I've been a part of, again, you can go to my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com and check out all my other stuff. But as for Manga Mavericks, you can find every episode at MangaMavericks.com, where we post every episode first, unless you're a Patreon. Unless you're a patron at Patreon.com slash Manga Mavericks, where at the $2 tier, patrons will have access to select episodes of the podcast uh, before we put them on our main feed. Basically, whatever we have ready, basically, whatever we, uh, whatever we don't have ready in time to put up on our main feed we will put it up on our Patreon uh, for people to listen to first. But admittedly, that also depends on what we have done at a given point, our schedules, and, you know, all sorts of things. So if you want more reliable content, basically, uh, you should sign up for our $5 tier, where we post a new bonus podcast at the end of every month, guaranteed. I think, actually, by the time this episode of this podcast is out, I will have uploaded the first episode of a, of a new Mock Mavericks Book Club read-through 
kind of new, kind of a continuation because uh, Grant and I, our good friend Grant at Grant the Thief on Twitter, are going through all of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, the manga, and we just started up Battle Tendency. And the first episode of that read-through covering the first volume from Viz uh, should be up on our Patreon by the time this episode is out. So, yeah, I am I really hope people listen to that. I'm really looking forward to doing this read-through with Grant over the next few months. So, yeah, just please go listen to that at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, where if you subscribe to us on Patreon, we really appreciate it. Uh, whatever money we make really helps us keep the lights on in terms of, like, podcast and website hosting. So. Whatever you're able to give, you know, means a lot to us. So basically, the best way to support us is at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Please subscribe to us. But as for everything else, I guess you could follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at mavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks, where we post different excerpts of the podcast every once in a while and even some exclusive content every once in a while. So again, subscribe to us at youtube.com slash magamavericks. Email us anything at magamavericks at gmail.com. Hey, once again, do you have any thoughts on Yona of the Dawn that you want to send over to us and we'll read on the show? Or any thoughts on, you know, whatever you're reading, whatever you want to hear us talk about on the show, anything to do with manga or the podcast or both, you know, we love getting emails from you guys and we want to read them on the show. So once again, that's at mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on so many different platforms at this point. But basically, if you if you give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever, it really helps the visibility of our show. And, uh, you know, just in general, we love getting feedback from you guys. And uh, whatever feedback we get from you guys, positive or negative, we want to use to help make the show that much better. And yeah, I think that's going to be about it for this episode. Thank you guys for listening to the Manga Mavericks podcast. This has been episode 199, and we'll see you guys next time for episode 200. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.